everyone, and welcome back to the Damage Counter Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Pokemon TCG. You got Phelan over here. You got Josh over here. And uh, I once again failed to check the episode number. I'm going to say 39 and just roll with it. It is 39. I know because I checked earlier today uh, when you texted me because I just don't know where the time has gone, man. You texted me, you're like, are you good to record tonight? And I was like, has it really been that long? I had to go look at the calendar, and I was like, oh my <laughs> god, it has. <laughs> yeah, this one this one did kind of sneak up on us, I think. Um, but yeah, episode 39, our last episode before the Pokemon World Championships this year. Very excited. And uh, of course, we have a Worlds-themed episode for you here. And our card of the day will be visiting Arceus V-Star, one of my favorite cards of all time. As a bit of a throwback to our previous World Championships where an Arceus V-Star deck did take the whole thing home. Of course, we have all the latest news. Uh, we're going to be talking about Gardevoir EX in our 60-card showcase uh, for this episode. Oft uh, considered by many the BDIF of this format. So definitely want to give it some attention before we get to the World Championships. And then finally, after that... Uh, we're going to be talking about our expected metagame for the World Championships, throw out some predictions, and, uh, you know, just overall have a good conversation about what we expect to see at Worlds. But in the meantime, Josh, my friend, how you been doing, man? Uh, I've been doing pretty good, you know, just uh, relaxing for the most part <laughs> between uh, work and playing a lot of video games, just, just a lot of stuff coming out lately. Uh Baldur's Gate 3 officially dropped, and I'm a huge fan of that franchise, so, you know, I've been putting some time into that. Besides that, not really too much else, honestly. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I can't go a few hours without looking down on my phone and seeing Smiling Anarchy is streaming this game on Discord, and it's like a different game every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been... Uh... I mean, there's been a lot of games coming out, so I've been playing quite a few different things, but right now I'm just playing Baldur's Gate, and I'm actually uh, getting into Apex Legends, just because I've been wanting to play a shooter and I've been having a lot of fun, and it's been a long time since I've taken a video game seriously, so you know what? I think I'm going to try to climb the ladder. That's what I decided, okay, especially because I got a buddy who's uh got super into the game and one of the characters is about to get some changes, so he's super excited because that's his favorite. So it's like, screw it. I'm going to try to duo queue to the top. Yeah, I heard you mention it on a Discord last night, and I was like, wait, what? He's playing that now? It kind of uh -huh. caught me by surprise. I used to play it a little bit, like, when it was brand new. It's okay. I mean, I'm not, like, I'm already not, like, inherently into shooters unless it's Halo. Uh, so, it, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, I'll play it casually for a little bit, and then... You know, I'll, I'll go back to doing what I usually do, type beats. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a... Uh, I don't know, usually I have something that I'm pretty competitive with. I know I had a stint there a couple of months ago uh, where I was climbing Magic's ladder, and I was having fun doing that, but then Magic started to get on my nerves just because uh, I don't completely <laughs> vibe with Standard right now over there. Uh, I won't go into details on that. That's I, a, that I think we have podcast. I think we have mentioned it at least in passing a few times. Yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, you know, usually there's something that I'm taking a little more seriously and uh, landed on Apex for right now. So, you know, 
So that's about it for me. What have you been up to? Um, a lot of the same old stuff, really. Uh, you know, like I said, I took a break after NAIC, kind of getting back into the game now. Um, and really just kind of in the Obsidian Flames waiting room. Uh, I've got some uh, League Challenges and League Cups that I plan on going to before Obsidian Flames is legal, so I still have to think about the Paldea Evolved format in some capacity, but there's part of me that's just like, I, I, I'm ready to play with Dark Charizard and Pidgeot EX, man. Let me have those cards. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because I've been doing some testing with Dark Zard, and uh, yeah, that deck is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> that deck is nuts for sure. So I'm looking forward to getting to play that a little bit more, but uh, you know, one step at a time here. Mm-hmm. Um, been working on some other things as well I finally after and I'm not kidding I've been trying to get one of these for years I finally got a hardware modification for my 3DS so that I can record footage off of it mm-hmm. um, and I mean that was a that was a process and a half there was all kinds of shipping problems uh, both with me shipping it to the guy to hard mod it and him shipping it back to me I'm not going to get into it but it was a whole odyssey of me <laughs> on edge the entire time the package was out being like, I'm not ever going to get this thing back. Am I? <laughs> I paid $200 to lose my 3DS. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that definitely would be uh, anxiety-inducing. Just having yeah. to ship it off and be like, alright, well, I hope it comes back. <laughs> yeah, so it was... Well, the first bungle was that I forgot to to make note of the tracking information for when I shipped it, so I never knew when he got it. And this guy gets like a bunch of orders, right? He's very busy, so he's it's, it's difficult for him to like respond to emails and stuff like that. So like, I didn't really hear anything from him. Uh, and then I was worried it might get sent to the wrong address when it came back uh, because of certain reasons. Again, I'm not going to really go into all that, but uh, yeah. Long story short, I ended up getting it. I tested it out. It works amazing. Uh, and I'm looking forward to, you know, possibly getting some streams in there. I can, you know... Uh, record some some gameplay footage of Pokemon games. Um, I have kind of sort of been on like a Pokemon marathon for the last few years. I say kind of sort of because it stopped uh, kind of at Gen 4 for a while. Because I played Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3. Uh, and I've been playing like the original versions. Not the remakes. So I got to Gen 4, and for that one I decided to play Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, because by the time I got to Gen 4, that's when those remakes had come out, so I was like, okay, I'll just do that instead. Um, You know, played those games, had a good time, for the most part, Uh, and I'm like, okay, next up is Black and White, and I just haven't started it yet, so... Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe I'll maybe I'll mess around and live stream my playthrough of Pokemon White. It's been a while since I've played Gen 5, and I'm a huge fan, so... I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll do that. That could be pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, I was actually in a Pokemon mood, too, a few weeks ago. I've still been playing on and off. Uh, I actually have been downloading some fan games and play, been playing those. And actually, dude, some of them are pretty fun. I've heard I've heard good things about some of the fan games. I've been meaning to try some of them out. I just um, looked up the highest-rated ones and uh, picked like from the very top of that list. And so far, I've only done one game, but I've been having a lot of fun doing that. It, it's yeah that's generally a good rule of thumb the the thing that's like kept me off of like like moving on to like black and white though is that like several years ago my brother bought me an rpg uh called elisa that he's just been bugging me to play and i'm like at a point where like i'd feel really bad if i started playing another pokemon game and didn't play that game 
Uh, so I, I'm forcing myself to to take a break from the Pokemon games until, save for any new ones, of course, uh, until uh, I beat that game because he did buy it for me after I said I wanted it. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I I did start playing that a couple months ago. It was like right before I moved to this new apartment, so that kind of got interrupted. But that game just recently got ported to Switch, and Pokemon and Nintendo have ruined me. I love to play my RPGs in bed. <laughs> so I might I might just double dip, get the Switch port so I can play it in bed. That is by far one of the best parts about the Switch. It's oh just my goodness, that. for real, dude. Especially with like the turn-based RPGs, it's a lot more laid back, it's a lot more chill. I can lay in my bed, I have a little drink next mm-hmm. to me. Super cozy, even though that game's kind of messed up, but I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the only other thing I want to mention, though, and I don't remember if I mentioned this on last week's episode or not, but just in case I didn't, uh, I have been, or rather, I've been trying to think about how I want to approach this next season of competitive play. You know, I've tried to reflect on the previous season and try to think about things I can do better, all that kind of stuff. But another part of that is like planning which events I'm going to go to, you know, look at the regional schedule and say, okay, I can go here, I can go here relatively easily you know these depend on the money stuff like that um i'm probably going to be playing it a little by ear for at least the early part of the season uh because i am taking some time to kind of focus on the career a little bit uh try to try to get some career advancement mostly so i could put this money back into pokemon if i'm being honest but (laughs) um so yeah, I'm probably going to be absent from regionals uh, for the first uh, month or so. Hopefully not too long. Um, but, you know, you, you got to make those important life moves. And uh, it, it's going well. It's going well so far. It's actually going way better than I thought it was going to. And much faster than I thought it was going to. So if I keep up the rate that I'm at now and make it through to, to my end goal for the career... Uh, I should be able to make it to Peoria Regionals, which is on my birthday mm-hmm. weekend, by the way. So looking forward to hopefully being able to attend that. Um, but yeah, you know, you got to make those moves, man. Yeah, definitely. And one final final thing I should mention. Sorry, I just remembered this. Uh, like I said, Worlds is happening this weekend. I will not be in attendance. This is in Yokohama, Japan. I didn't get my invite. and I certainly don't have enough money to travel to Japan. Um, but with that being said, I am planning to live stream, uh, worlds this weekend. So I'll be watching from home and I'll be live streaming kind of live reacting to worlds. Um, pro I think I'll probably do that on the damage counter YouTube channel. So we're going to go live or I'm going to go live on the YouTube channel. So if you're subscribed to YouTube, you're good. You'll probably see the notification. Hopefully YouTube's a little weird sometimes. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be watching it live. Sorry. Hmm. What time does World start, like, here, U.S. time? I think 7 p.m. last I looked at it, so it's gonna be, it's gonna be kind of late, right? So it's, like, 7 p.m. on Thursday is, like, mm-hmm. day one, because uh, I, th- I believe, if I'm not mistaken how the time zones work, is that it'll be Friday in Japan, 7 p.m. here <laughs> on Thursday, I think, I think, mm-hmm. um... So yeah, I'm going to hop on there. I'm going to live react. I'm going to try... Basically, my goal here is to, like, cast, quote-unquote. Like, mute the stream and cast as if I'm the caster. 
uh, trying to get myself a bit of a portfolio going because I do think it'd be kind of cool to like cast regionals and stuff like that. Yeah. So I mean, this is like the quickest way that I can think to like start a portfolio. So I'm going to try that. Uh, be on the lookout for that. If you're not subscribed to the Damage Counter YouTube channel, definitely check us out. Uh, links to that are in the episode description. Uh, if you want to be along for the ride, chill out, enjoy worlds with me, and uh, you know maybe critique some casting here and there. I guess <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, definitely check us out there. But okay, now it's time to get into the episode proper. Um, and if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that this is absolutely one of my favorite cards of all time. And I'm a little surprised it took us this long to get it on card of the day. So let's not waste any more time. Let's do it. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, I am excited for our card of the day on this episode we have none other than probably a card that is in contention for one of, if not the best Pokemon card possibly ever printed. You know what it is. It's Arceus V-Star, a 280 HP colorless V-Star Pokemon and one of my favorite cards of all time. I'm surprised it took us this long to get to this one, to be honest. Arceus has been out for over a year at this point, and we've done nothing but praise this card, and we haven't even given it the time of day. I was a little surprised uh, when I saw it in our message board for the podcast, because uh, I was like, wow, we really haven't talked about Arceus VMAX yet! Like, I legitimately was surprised when you put that there, because I honestly thought we had already talked about it because we talk about this card so much yeah i i had to go back and look through look through the episodes right because i was like i was scrolling i was looking for cards and i came across it i was like yeah arceus v star i love that card and i was like wait a minute have we never done this because you know you're right we do talk about it all the time we like we absolutely love this card and we make no secret of that and i swear i went through all 38 episodes i was like no 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 holy crap we've not talked about this card (laughs) which is kind of crazy again that we just went this long but either way i'm not really sure if we need any kind of introduction here even for the more recent players Arceus V-Star, I mean, like I said, is in contention for one of the strongest, most powerful, most versatile Pokemon cards ever printed, which, you know, is fitting of Arceus, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. With its Trinity Nova attack, three colorless energy, you deal 200 damage, and you get to search your deck for three basic energy cards and attach them to your Pokemon V in any way you like, then shuffle your deck. And of course, the most broken part about the card is its signature V-Star power, as an ability, Starbirth. During your turn, you may search your deck for up to two cards and put them into your hand, then shuffle your deck. I mean, any combo you can think of, Arceus V-Star is there. Arceus V-Star makes it work. You find the two com- the two pieces for your combo, and you power up your main and or backup attacker in the same go. Insane. Yeah, I mean... We've talked about it a whole bunch of times, but this card's so cool just because, especially back when it first came out, it just opened up so many avenues for so many other like cards to be playable that otherwise just weren't given that option in the meta. It, I mean, it's just an insanely cool card. Yeah, I mean, and that's the, and that's the coolest thing, right? And I, there's probably also a little bit of like nostalgic bias for us too there, I suppose, right? Because like. We started the podcast just a little bit before Brilliant Stars came out. Uh, in fact, our first main discussion was talking about uh, Brilliant Stars 
translations, right? Like the you know the set was that kind of new back in the day, but you know that is the coolest thing about the card is the fact that like it, all of a sudden all of these bulk V's that we had gotten for the past two years suddenly became playable, right? So uh, you had things like Malamar VMAX, Malamar mm. VMAX needing dark dark colorless to attack and just you know being a dark type was good you know it yeah. was hand disruption in an attack 180 damage it was good it was vmax it was beefy there were a lot of good things for that card but you just could never power it up arcus comes around and all of a sudden you know balamar becomes one of the best decks in the game and it doesn't stop there. You pair Arceus with Urshifu, with Corviknight, uh, with Sylveon, my favorite deck of all time. You pair it with Gyarados, mm -hmm. uh, Lucario, Lycanroc. I mean, just about anything you can think of. If it's a Pokemon V, Arceus is going to make it work. Definitely. I mean, it's just... Uh, between being able just to get two cards out of your deck and the energy acceleration from its attack, it's just like... The ultimate support Pokemon that can still also swing if you need it to, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like, it's a catch-all. It, like, just does everything. It quite yeah. literally does everything. And that's amazing. Definitely. And even, like, you know, you even take it out of, like, a toolbox or supportive role, as we usually see nowadays. But back when, like, when it came out, like, Arceus itself could have just been a deck, right? Like, you had Arceus Inteleon, you had Arceus Barrel variants, right? Like, you just oh, attacked yeah, with the were, Arceus. There were a whole bunch of decks that were basically just Arceus, or Arceus, and uh, Inteleon Engine or something support it, and they called it a day. They said, that's all I need. Yeah, exactly. They just attack with the Arceus, tank a hit, pick him back up with Sharon's Care, attack with the next Arceus, while powering up the one that you just rebenched. <laughs> yep. absolutely crazy and you know we still see that trend today of Arceus making Pokemon that otherwise might be unviable work right like I mean Duraludon I think is probably the best example right like yeah. I don't think there's a single person that read Duraludon after it came out in Evolving Skies and didn't agree that that card was insanely broken but the problem is back in Evolving Skies paying metal metal fighting even with a single strike engine, was just next to impossible, right? Metal saucers on a metal Duraludon V before evolving, and then the, you know, maybe a single strike engine with Houndooms, although that wasn't very popular. You know, trying to get stuff like that going before Arceus mm -hmm. was next to impossible, so the deck never saw play. <laughs> but Arceus comes around, and Duraludon's been one of the best cards ever since. Absolute Definitely. insanity. <laughs> Definitely. But, I mean, I, at this point, I'm not really sure what more we can say about Arceus. Again, it's just simply one of, if not the best Pokemon card ever printed. And I feel like when you say stuff like that, like people might kind of want to lean into like a negative connotation. Like, oh, I bet this broke the game or made the format boring or this, that, the other. No, sir. Arceus V-Star did not have that trouble. It's just, I don't know. I'm an Arceus fanboy. I know there are people that don't like Arceus decks because they're too simple for a lot of people. But, I don't know, man. I just... If Arceus was in a deck, I was like, oh yeah, this is some good stuff, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like this. Definitely. All I can say is just go back to some of our older episodes and listen to our reactions to the tournament results at the time. <laughs> yeah, there was some crazy stuff. 
Yeah, Arceus what one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. I absolutely love Arceus, man. But, like I said, what more can we say about it? It's Arceus V-Star. It has more than earned its place in the pantheon of greatest Pokemon cards ever printed. And uh, has certainly been one of the most played Pokemon cards, I think, ever. Especially in the tournament space, so... That's going to do it for us on our Card of the Day segment. Let us know what you think of Arceus V-Star. That's right, it's finally time to talk about it. Hit us up on Twitter at DamageCounter, DamageCounterPodcast at gmail.com if you prefer email. And of course, you can also keep the conversation going with us on our community Discord. Links to that are in the episode description below. We'd love to have you in there, and we'd love to keep the conversation going. Yeah, and as always, if you have a card you'd like for us to go over here on the podcast... Like I always say, the only rule is it has to be an official Pokemon card. But besides that, uh, we want to talk about your favorite card. So feel free to send it our way. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to hear what y'all's favorite cards are. We're taking submissions all the time. In fact, there is a channel dedicated for that in the Discord. It's a perfect place to drop it. But in the meantime, we have some news to talk about. And I know a recent trend with our news segment has that it's been a little light lately, you know, between the tournament, or rather between NAIC and Worlds. Usually not a lot going on so that they can save some announcements for the World Championships. However, even though this is this is the last episode before the World Championships, we have a lot of news to talk about. So let's get into it. <laughs> All right, so let's hit the ground running here. We got a few, well, uh, quite a few stories here for you. So we're going to kind of get some of the faster ones out of the way first before we get to some of the bigger topics that I'm sure a lot of y'all are, uh, you know, expecting us to spend some time on. So uh, first quick thing we want to talk about is that we have a Pokemon Presents coming up. And, well, I should say by the time you're listening to this, the Pokemon Presents has already happened like two days ago. But we are recording before it happens, so... We're not going to have anything to say about it until the next episode. Unfortunately, that's if anything PTCG or TCG related gets announced on these on this broadcast anyway. Because most of the time, these don't have any TCG announcements. Uh, but I say that the last one did have the announcement of the Pokemon Trading Card Game Classic. So it's possible we might get more details of that. Um, so if you're listening to this now... I know it's all been announced already, but we don't, you know, we're recording before that, so we have nothing to say about it. But that is coming up. Uh, and if you watched it, you know, let us know what you think on our Discord. <laughs> We'd love to hear what you have to say. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, this is going to be airing while I'm at work, uh, which is annoying uh, that I can't just, you know, wake up and enjoy uh, some Pokemon announcements without, you know, getting in trouble at work. So that's a little annoying. So I'm going to have to. You know, get the uh, announcements retroactively through Twitter, uh, which is a little annoying, but it is what it is. Uh, I'll be there to give my thoughts on it anyway. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's all there really is to that. I'm pretty excited for it. Like video game, trading card game, I don't care what. I, I am excited to see what they have to announce. Definitely, I am too. I mean, there's really no bad news you can get when it comes to more Pokemon announcements, in my opinion. You know? Yeah. So... Uh, what, pretty, hmm? what what strikes me odd about it is that like you know like we say like they, there's always like some pretty big announcements at worlds more so geared towards the competitive players you know for the video games and the tcg and stuff like that but like they do generally still have announcements at worlds that even casual fans can enjoy as like as far as the video games go 
So the fact that we had a Pokemon Presents on Tuesday before the World Championships is like, I don't know, is like, is this going to be like 35 minutes of just spinoff games or side projects or are they announcing something big here and then extending on that announcement at Worlds? I don't know. It's, it's interesting to think about. Definitely. We'll have to wait and see. Well, actually, not really, because again, by the time you're listening to this, it's already happened, so... If you missed it, go check it out, and uh, again, we'll probably be talking about it in the Discord since uh, we'll have to wait till the next episode to talk about anything about it. But in the meantime, we do have some product that was announced coming our way. Um, there were quite a few products announced, uh, but we're really only going to go into the one as this is probably the most competitively relevant. We have a Charizard EX Premium Collection releasing on October 20th for $39.99. Now, uh, these premium collections are generally like kind of kind of like the go-to products for competitive players in some sense because at least nowadays when it comes to these premium collections, they're centering them around like extremely playable cards, right? Like we got one about Dark or one with Darkrai, one with Hisuian Zoroark, uh, there were premium collections with Palkia and Dialga V-Star. You know, all of which are pretty good cards. I, I guess Dark Ride debatable, but mm-hmm. uh, you know the fact that this one is going to be featuring the Dark Charizard EX from Obsidian Flames is amazing, right? Because Obsidian Flames is coming out. We know Dark Zard is probably one of, if not the best card in the set. It's looking to be an absolute powerhouse of a deck. I mean, the card is just absurd. Um. But it's, you know, it's also a Charizard card releasing in a set that doesn't really have, like, a bunch of great cards in it, right? For both collectors and players. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate the announcement of this premium collection. You know, Pokemon getting ahead of the the game being like, listen, we don't want Dark Zards being difficult for the competitive players to get. Because, you know, it's a Charizard. It's going to be worth more just because it's a Charizard. Yeah. So them having a promo Dark Zard EX just to make it a little easier for the competitive players to get um, and keeping prices down. Yes. Chef's kiss. <laughs> yes. I will absolutely love this. No, I have to agree. I think that's a really cool decision to make. I'm all about it. And if I remember correctly, I believe that this artwork is actually also in the set, right? So... Uh, I could be wrong about that. I'm pretty sure one of my locals pulled this uh, specific Charizard. It's like the full art uh, with the white background and the black sparkles, kind of like the uh, full art Arcanine EX and Gyarados EX from Base Set Scarlet and Violet. Uh, very cool looking. I, I do like the look of these like Terra full arts. They're very pretty. Definitely. Uh, so it, it's kind of cool in that way that like you know it's a card that you can pull from the set. But also, like, if you're just kind of having trouble getting them by this point in time, like, you you have this option with the promo, which is, you know, again, just great. So, this is going to come with the Charizard EX. It's also going to come with a foil Charmander and uh, Charmeleon. You know, a little bit of a max rarity thing going on there for you, I suppose. Uh, six booster packs, a magnetic card protector with display base. That sounds cool. Uh, 65 card sleeves featuring the Dark Zard Terra Pokemon. And, of course, a code card for redemption on Pokemon TCG Live. Um, that's actually kind of unique that this comes with card sleeves. Premium collections in the past haven't done that. So that's that's kind of unique. That's pretty cool, actually. They really don't look bad, either. No, they look great, actually, yeah. 
So definitely be on the lookout for that, um, especially if you don't have uh, Dart Zards by the time this comes out. This should be a way to help you get those. Again, that'll be releasing on October 20th uh, for $39.99. So it is going to be quite a bit after we get the official set release, uh, but still an appreciated product nonetheless. Last quick hit story we have for you is Pokemon Play, or sorry, Play Pokemon Prize Pack Series 3 uh, is now in the hands of local game stores. Um, we normally don't like, you know, report on like when these are coming out for different game stores and stuff like that. You know, if you go to your local game stores and play, you're going to find that stuff out. And all of these are reprints, but I think these are a little bit special in the way that uh, these are actually being handed out specifically for World's Weekend. So if you're mm -hmm. not going to the World Championships or you're not doing anything this weekend and got a local game store maybe a league challenge or a league cup or something like that nearby definitely go out to this because as a promotion for the world championships those local game stores should at least be handing these out uh to competitors so if that interests you go check it out uh this is going to be featuring uh if i remember correctly this is going to be featuring a lot of cards uh from brilliant stars all the way up to paldea evolved um so it's going to be a bit of a mix mash of like yellow and silver borders, which is really funny. But <laughs> um, <laughs> the other thing worth noting about this, and I think this is really cool, and I, I don't know, I, this is like the second or third time I've like we've reported on like this specifically, but uh, all the holofoil cards in this series are all the mm. cosmo uh, the cosmo holofoil uh, that was used on the old Wizards of the Coast Pokemon cards back in the day. And I, listen, man, you're not going to convince me otherwise. There, I don't think, exists a single holofoil pattern that looks nicer than this one. This is so pretty. I have to agree with you. I think it looks really good. Especially on, like, the Scarlet and Violet cards, right? Because, like, the, the, the hollow pattern extends to the silver borders, so it really makes those pop even more. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so good. I love it. Definitely. Yeah, this this extends to energy, Pokemon, trainer cards. Um, not not every card in the pack is gonna have the hollow foil. I should I should mention. I think it's two cards in every pack. Uh, but still, I mean, the fact that these exist is great. Gives Mirage Gate a much needed rarity boost. <laughs> Could you believe the current max rarity for Mirage Gate is a reverse hollow? <laughs> that is pretty crazy. Yeah, not even a gold man. That's crazy. But yeah, I. Thought we'd just mention these real quick. Uh, and of course, you know, there's going to be like Vs, V-Stars, and EX Pokemon as well that are going to have uh, be featured in this set, all with the Play Pokemon stamp. Uh, so, you know, for you collectors and for you hardcore players out there, maybe, maybe hit up some events this weekend. Try to get your hands on some of these. All right, now it's time for the bigger news. Uh, we're going to start with the Pokemon TCG Live update uh, that is going to be scheduled uh Actually, I believe by the time you're listening to this, let me fact check. Yeah, by the time you're listening to this, this update is actually live. Uh, so as of today, uh, you know, time of upload, the next Pokemon TCG Live update will be available to you. And it does bring a few changes. We have a letter to the community from the devs. Uh, so I'll read that out for you here real quick. It's not too very long. Says, Dear Pokemon TCG fans, over the past few months, the team has been focused on bringing the most recent Pokemon TCG expansion release, Scarlet and Violet Paldea Evolved, to Pokemon TCG Live. 
In parallel with bringing this new content to the game, the team has been hard at work making significant progress on upcoming optimizations to enhance the game experience. Today we want to share with you a look at just a couple of changes coming to the game this week. One of the changes coming to the Pokemon TCG Live will replace condensed art in the game's mobile version with full, uh, with full card art. This change will allow the card art to truly shine on the mobile platform and provide more clarity on what your opponents are playing. An update to the visual experience is only one of the goals with this upcoming change. In a future update, we plan to remove the data for these assets, which will significantly reduce the load size in both the mobile and desktop versions of the game. This update will optimize the performance of load and installation times for all players once removed. In our ongoing efforts to increase support for the expanded format experience in Pokemon TCG Live, the current in-game shop will be updated. Starting August 10th, booster packs and theme decks for, uh, from Sun and Moon series expansions will be available in the shop in exchange for crystals. Products from older Pokemon TCG expansions will continue to be added to the shop as the game updates to support more expanded format cards. We're excited to begin taking these next steps to bring the full expanded format play experience to Pokemon TCG Live. Um, and then, you know, they go on to talk about the World Championships this weekend, as well as uh, some promotions that they'll be running. If you happen to be watching live on Twitch, you can follow the link in the episode description uh, to this update if you want to read more about that. So the only two changes it seems to be coming is, A, for the mobile version, uh, the card art will work the same way as it does on desktop, where you see the entire card, uh, which is a welcome change, in my opinion. Uh, you know, having just the artwork on a card until you tap on it to expand it can be a little annoying sometimes. Um, so just having the full card available to you so you can see, you know, oh, you know, this is the Kingdra with an ability, not the Kingdra with, you, you know, you know, just quick stuff like that, right? Is uh, kind of nice. I will say that does make the fact that the cards are still facing you, like are still technically upside down in a way. It makes it a little bit more jarring, in my opinion, but that's overall kind of a nitpick type deal. And as far as the expanded format thing, I, I hate that they, like on Twitter, like they're like, oh, updates to TCG Live, visuals and details about expanded format, right? Like that's all they said mm -hmm. in the tweet. And I was like, oh, wait, they're, they're actually doing something with expanded. That's really cool. And then all it is is they're just adding Sun and Moon expansions to the shop and not you know, adding the several missing expansions that actually make Expanded Expanded. No X and Y, no black and white. Expanded is still Sun and Moon to, to the current format. And it's just like, oh, okay. Which, yeah. uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the announcement, while cool, is kind of lackluster because it really is just like you said. It's like, cool, maybe I'll come back in like a year or two and you'll have enough of the older expansions I can actually play Expanded, you know? Yeah, and I mean that's that's really the big thing, right? And you know, I, I mean, I guess I guess it's cool that these cards are available in the shop, but like also the way I look at it is, everybody knows the most efficient way to get the cards you need for a deck is to just craft them with the credits, right? So like, people are still going to be spending their crystals on like, you know, the Pokemon uh, celebrations Ultra Premium Collection, right? They're still going to be, you know, buying the same like structure deck over and over again to just cash in on. The, like turn those crystals into credits basically right and then use those credits to then just create the cards you need for the deck right so what well, i mean it's cool that the older expansions are in the shop but it's like is, i don't know is it really helping anything i'd probably not to be honest so i don't know it's kind of weird and again it's like you said it's just like you know 
if this is your update to the expanded format, and we haven't had an update on the expanded format in TCG Live, and I don't even know how long at this point, then like, how long is it going to take you to get the X and Y cards, let alone black and white as well, right? Like, yeah, you know what? What's the timeline here? And I, I really, I think what it is, and a lot of people have like put this theory out there, and I do genuinely believe that this is kind of gonna be like a like a repeating cycle for TCG Live. Is that like they're gonna be working on the new set, and the new set's gonna come out and have a whole bunch of bugs, and then they're gonna have to spend that time with a divided team fixing the bugs and developing the cards for the next set that's coming out. That like the resources to, you know, code in the rest of the Mystic Expanded cards, I just don't think is there unless they can, like, find a way to rein in their development cycle, their development process, whatever it may be, that's causing, like, brand new cards from every I, set I was a, to be I was going to bring up, yeah, definitely. I was going to bring up when you got to a stopping point. Like, I don't mean to sound petty, but I would much rather them on getting standard in the game into an actual playable state before they like bother even putting effort towards making expanded a thing. Like if this yeah. is gonna be a long if this is gonna be a long timetable to even get expanded to where it's expanded, I would rather you shelve that and get your game uh <laughs> to a better spot in the first place, I wanna be honest. Yeah, and I and I do agree with that. Uh I mean if 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 it really came down to just like having a working standard or having, you know, a buggy standard, but, you know, the the expanded format as we know it. Uh, you know, obviously I would want a working standard format because that would mean that expanded I, format would work. But, like, uh, yeah, it's, it, just, it's just one of those it, things, man. It's just, like, the dev... It might be a sour way to look at it. And, like, yeah, I know there's multiple people there working on different things, you know? It's not, like, the person that's probably working on implementing the cards is the person also working on, like, the working out bugs and whatnot. Could be. Probably not. But it it just leaves a really sour taste in my mouth when I can't even play the game in the way that you have it right now. And then you're going to tell me you're adding new game types? It's, like, cool. How many cards are going to be broken in those? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know what? That's a that's a fair point, honestly. And, you know, it's kind of funny because I think a lot of people would agree with you that, like, because Expanded's kind of a polarized thing. Like, half of the community loves it. The other half of the community hates it. So, I mean, there's a very large number of the community that's just like, okay, I don't care what you do with Expanded at all unless you're, like, providing a ban list update, maybe. Um. So I'm sure for a lot of people this isn't, like, that big a deal. But I don't know. It's just one of those things where it's, like, you have the game mode there, but it's not really the game mode. And yeah, and I, I will say Arena actually did something similar with their expanded formats. It's kind of like a modified expanded. They even call it by a different name just uh, see, because Arena is so different. And even that, I think, would work out better because... Uh, I don't mess with it too much. I believe it's called uh, Pioneer on Arena. Mm. But uh, even that, I could like stomach better if you're just going to be like, hey, for now, we're going to implement this uh, game type that's like this specific rule set onward or live or something like that, rather than just be like, yeah, here's expanded with uh, some sudden boon cards. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what? I, I fully agree with that, because I was about to say, it, it, it is literally just the fact that the game says it's expanded that is, like, kind of my biggest gripe. 
you know, because like PTCGO had a legacy, right? Like Heart Gold and Soul Silver, all the way up to Black and White Legendary Treasures. That's not really a format that was ever played, you know, in standard. That was not a format that was like ever supported, I guess, officially, uh, as far as like regionals and stuff like that goes. Like that just wasn't a thing. That was just a game mode on PTCGO because they just felt like doing it for whatever reason. And like if they just took Sun and Moon to current format and called it you know whatever yeah like expanded modified or modern or like what i don't know just throwing things out there i would have no problem with that i mean like, this is a different format this is not expanded at all they'll implement it later because they're obviously having problems with standard right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i mean it may seem like a petty thing but i really do think like that makes a huge difference <laughs> just like yeah no i mean i i, I 100 agree i don't know i mean uh I think we're starting to go down the hole, so... Yeah, we have to be careful when we talk about PTCG Live. Yeah, I'll say just... I mean, to kind of wrap it up, I, I think there are some... Uh, I'm happy that they are working on implementing more stuff for the game. I think that's cool. And I do like what you said about the mobile changes. Being able to actually see the whole card again, or just in general, is going to be a lot nicer. Having the artworks, I mean, isn't awful, but I think it's a little presumptuous to expect all of the people or the majority of the people playing your game to be knowledgeable enough to recognize a lot of cards off a of site mm-hmm. you know in my honest opinion you got to think about that casual player there's going to be a lot of cards that your average casual player like outside of like the top decks that probably wouldn't even recognize yeah i mean that's that's the biggest thing about that right is that like like you said the casual players like you know, they load up a new game and they run into a Maridon deck and it's like, what does the Maridon do? Okay, what does the Flaffy do? Okay, what does the, you know, you know, what what does the Raikou yeah. do? And then in the next game, they're like, oh, okay, I play against a Maridon again. Cool, no problem. But this guy benches like a Regilecki VMAX and a Zero and he's like, wait, what do these do? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. It's just, it really is easier to keep up with board state if you can just glance and be like, all right, that guy has an ability, what does that do again? It's like, okay, those don't have abilities on the bench, I'm not worried about it right now. You know, it's it's just easier to get your potential board state together with more information available to you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, uh, yeah, this update coming to PCCG Live. Um, I want to say that I'm disappointed, but I'm not. But I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. All right. You know, I got to I, I gotta stop before I get too crazy here. Uh, either way, uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, we do have a couple more news stories to talk about. Uh, one of which, the Raging Surf Booster Pack artwork has been revealed. Now, I know. I know. Just booster pack artwork. Is that really what we are? We scraping the bottom of the barrel for some news here. Okay, hang on. We can get something from this. I promise. <laughs> I mean, the artworks usually tell a little bit, a decent little bit about the set. That they do. Now, I, you know, this isn't really confirmed yet, but we people seem to think that this was uploaded on the Japanese website like early as a mistake. Uh, as Raging Surf uh, won't be released in Japan until September 22nd. So we still have quite a ways away until we see really anything from this set. But we do have the Booster Pack artwork. And uh, yeah, it features quite a few Pokemon on it. And uh, in Japan, usually any Pokemon featured on the Booster Pack artwork is typically getting a chase card. Uh, So on the Booster Pack, we have the Water Terra-type Garchomp EX and we have Goldango. Those are cards that we knew were coming in the set that was revealed 
that we were going to be getting a Water Terra Garchomp EX and a Goldango EX, so that checks out. But also on the pack artwork is Groudon, Tapu Koko, and Jirachi. So again, those Pokemon will likely be getting Pokemon EX cards, uh, so that's pretty cool. Groudon has not seen a card in quite some time. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it got, like, it got, got a card in celebrations. celebrations. Yeah, yeah, that's the only card it got in Sword and Shield. And that card, I mean, not I guess great. you could, you could <laughs> technically, like, put it in, like, the Lost Box Kyogre deck instead of Kyogre. It basically does the same thing, except it hits the active. But the funny thing, <laughs> the funny thing about that is that Amazing Rare Rayquaza does the same amount of damage for way less work. <laughs> Which is really funny to think about. But either way. So, uh, you know, first impressions. My, my Gen 3 bias is screaming on the inside seeing a potential Groudon EX and especially Jirachi EX. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I need to see what they do. <laughs> I'm not going to lie that Jirachi has to be a little tentative. Because Jirachi is usually really annoying <laughs> when they give it a card. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, Jirachi has very famously been one of, or rather consistently, has been like a very supportive, a very powerful supportive Pokemon in the TCG. And we've seen that all the way back to like the Gen 3 era of cards. Uh, you know, there, I mean, there was like a Jirachi from Deoxys, I want to say, that was like, it let you look at the top five cards of your deck and put a card into hand. Um, and that kind of saw a spiritual successor in Stellar Wish Jirachi from Sun and Moon Team Up. My theory is, is that this Jirachi EX is going to, going to borrow some design philosophies from the Jirachi EX way back in Crystal Guardians. Because uh, a running trend of the, the Scarlet and Violet block is that like they're taking a lot of inspiration from the ruby sapphire ex era so much so that like a lot of cards are basically spiritual successors or even reprints to a point um and the jirachi from or the jirachi ex from crystal guardians did see a little bit of play back in the day uh and it had an attack for like psychic colorless it did 30 damage and your pokemon or your opponent wasn't allowed to use pokebodies during their next turn essentially you know the the old abilities so I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, man, what if they just, like, did a spiritual successor for that, right? Like you do, like, 40, 50 damage, psychic colorless, and mm. your your opponent can't use abilities next turn? Like, hang on, that might be kind of wild. <laughs> <laughs> Guardy players in shambles, bro. We'll have to see. We'll have to wait and see. That we will, but this has just made me more excited for the set. I was already pretty excited because I mean, definitely. On. I mean the the Terra type Water Garchomp is yeah, uh, already pretty exciting to me because like that just uh, that sounds like music to my ears. Like Garchomp that's gonna be a Water type and have access to all that Water acceleration and whatnot. That's gonna be fun. I guarantee it. Bro, you're gonna be able to irita for rare candy Garchomp. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> uh huh. Definitely. Oh, it's so good. I'm so excited to see these cards, but uh, we'll have to wait a little while longer, but it is fun to speculate in the meantime. Now for our final news story, we have details on the 2024 championship season, point requirements, regionals, all that fun stuff. There is a lot of information to soak up here, so much so that we're not going to cover all of it, Um, but we are going to hit you with some of the highlights. 
Uh, so the big thing is uh, that the points requirement to achieve your world's invite has been increased again. So this past season for the 2023 season uh, for the U.S. and Canada, if Masters wanted a world's invite, you needed 350 points. Uh, forgive me, I don't know the other regions off the top of my head. I think it was like 250 for Europe and 200 for LATAM and Oceania. Could be wrong about that, but point is... Uh, for the 2024 season, U.S. and Canada Masters need 600 championship points. Um, we'll we'll kind of have a discussion about that here in a second. But for Europe Masters, it's 500. That's the highest it's ever been in Europe, I think. Latin America, 350. Oceania, 300. And the Middle East and South Africa only need 250 CP. And again, that's for the Masters division. Uh, the CP uh, does change for seniors and juniors. In fact, actually, I'm just realizing that junior and senior divisions uh, actually have the same amount of CP uh, between both divisions. That's interesting. But anyway, uh, there was a little bit of a conversation, uh, you know, online after this news was announced that, man, 600. I mean, if you think about it, right, like in the 2022, well, 2019 to 2022 season, mm-hmm. you know, the CP total was 500. And that was pretty difficult for a lot of people to get to especially those that weren't playing before the pandemic you know they had Mm -hmm. to come back to half a season without league cups without league challenges and stuff like that uh the 2023 world championship season started with a 500 cp goal for the u.s masters uh again with most of that season not having access to league cups and league challenges until they eventually realized that that was going to be a bit too difficult for some people to get so they lowered it to 350 but even then, you know, still a little bit difficult for people, uh, you know, again, without the cups and challenges. And now we're at 600. Um, and I had to take some time to think about this because when I saw 600, my heart sank. I'm not going to lie. I saw that. I was like, dude, I was like 300 points away from 350. Now I need 600. Granted, you have to think about it this way that we do have like league cups and league challenges all season now. So, like, it's a little bit easier, but if you do the breakdown, because the points are still more or less the same for, like, how you place it, like, challenges and cups and stuff like that, you know, 15 for first at a challenge, 50 for first at a cup, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So, if you do the math, uh, oh, I should mention this, your best finish limit for challenges and cups is six now. So, previous season it was two, now it's six. So, that means your six best placements at League Challenges, League Cups, and Regionals, for that matter, uh, are added together, right? You you know, you have that best finish limit of six. So, if you win six League Challenges and win six League Cups, which is already, you know, Challenges is one thing, but winning six League Cups is already kind of difficult, especially with just the massive boom that the game has seen. You know, if you do the math, that is about 390 points. You're still 210 points short of a world invite that now those points have to exclusively come from like regionals or international championships. So it's a little daunting this season, I think. And I think Pokemon did that intentionally, to be honest, because, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, you know, everybody wants to go for that world's invite. It's a, you know, it's it's a reason a lot of people play. It's kind of a easy quantitative way to say, hey, I put in the work and I earned this type B. Yeah. You know, I earned, you know, being called, quote unquote, one of the best players in the world type D. 
that's all well and good, but, um, you know, I think Pokemon realized, like, hey, we still want the World Championships to be special. We want to make sure that people are having to work to get here. And, like I said, I had to take some time to think about it because my heart sunk when I saw 600. But after, you know, taking some time to think about it, working out the numbers, uh, especially with kind of the expanded uh, point kickers uh, for regionals and internationals, um, honestly, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. It's going to be really difficult. So if you're wanting that world's invite, you're going to have to put in the work. But I think it's doable, and I think it's fine. I think it's doable. I think it's fine. I think logistically it makes sense just from how many more players are over here in U.S. and Canada. Just to be able to make sure the rest of the world, you know, gets a chance for proper representation, I think it does need to be a fair bit harder. Yeah, because, you know, the the NA region has way more events than, like, any other region in the world, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, you go look at the regional calendar, the... U.S. and Canada regionals is, <laughs> I mean, let's put it this way: the, the Europe is like the second biggest region when it comes to that kind of stuff. Currently on the schedule, they have five regionals, uh, and we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve uh, already scheduled in NA, and we'll get into those in a second. Uh, you know, just so everybody knows what those are. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. A lot of people, there was a lot of conversation about it, especially on Twitter, you know, it's Twitter, but <laughs> yeah, it was just kind of interesting to me. Definitely. One last little piece of information I want to share before we start talking about the regionals um, is that there is actually an additional way to earn your world's invite this season, and that is by winning a regional or a European special event, or placing second at an international. So, and this is kind of something that the community has been clamoring for for a while now, especially this past season. Uh, I mean, where we're regularly, especially in the United States, regularly having, um, you know, regionals with a thousand plus players. Winning one of those is no small feat, right? And it was kind of crazy that, you know, you could win two regionals, and still not have your world's invite, you know, like at least with a CP total of 500. Right. So, and it just didn't make any sense for like, you know, Oh, I won this regional, but I don't have my world's invite. You know, it's just like, it just didn't make any sense. So I'm glad they made that change. So, you know, if you want your world's invite, just go win a regional, (laughs) you know what I mean? Just go do it. It'll be fine. But all right. Speaking of regional championships, we do have a few. Uh, We'll go ahead and list out all the ones here. So for the United States and Canada, uh, we'll have regionals in Pittsburgh, Peoria, Sacramento, Toronto, San Antonio, Portland, Charlotte, Knoxville. Let's go, Knoxville. Easy regional for me to get to. Let's go. (laughs) Uh, Regionals in Vancouver, Orlando, Indianapolis, and Los Angeles. I believe that's the first time we've ever had a uh, LA regional, so that's kind of cool. In Europe, uh, we have regionals in Lille, France, uh, Gdansk, Poland, Stuttgart, Germany, uh, Liverpool and Great Britain, and Dortmund, Germany. Uh, There's also uh, special events in Barcelona and Utrecht. And then in Latin America, we have the Curitiba uh, Regional Championships. 
And unfortunately, and I really do feel bad for the Australian players, but there is nothing announced for Oceania yet. They're always like... They're always like the the events that like get announced like, hey, we're doing this regional. It's like, oh yeah, that's in like two weeks. <laughs> I feel so bad for the Australian players, man. That's got to that's got to sting. Oh yeah, for sure. So yeah, lots of cool stuff uh, for the twenty twenty four season. I think overall, like I'm pretty happy with a lot of these changes. The point requirement being high, I, I get it, can be a little discouraging, especially for possibly like some newer players. And I mean, like, take it from me, right? Like I said, I needed 350 to make Worlds this year, and I only got, like, 55 points, right? And I went to, like, six regionals and NAIC, as well as, a you know, a good handful of League Cups and League Challenges, right? I get it. Like, especially for, like, some newer players or maybe less experienced players, I get it. It can be daunting, but you gotta remember, at the end of the day, like, going for your Worlds invite is not the only reason to play the game. That's not like an exclusive thing that you have to do, that you have to compete for. You know, my advice would to you would just to be to look at the CP total, you know, look at all the regionals that you can go to, calculate, you know, in theory, how many points that you think you can earn from challenges and cups. And if you think you can make it, go for it. Make the most of it. And just try to have a good time. And if you think it's too much, you think that, you know, you're worried about spending all the money and not getting rewarded for the effort, well, A, go and play for fun because the community is great. Or B, you know, take an off season. You can still play the game, go to locals, go to League Cups, go to League Challenges or the occasional regional here or there and just play without the pressure of going for your world's invite. I mean, you know, the game is a lot of fun. The community is great. There's more than... You know, there's more than the world championships, the world's invites at stake. If you want to play Pokemon, play Pokemon. If you make it to your world championships, then you put in the work, then, hey, that's a bonus. That That's all I'll say about it. I think you summed it up pretty well there. It's, uh, like you said, there's a whole bunch of reasons to play the game. Uh, you can't just solely focus on worlds. It's, uh, I don't think, I'm going to be honest, I don't like to say how you should be playing the game, but I don't think you're playing the game right if you're doing that. There's a there's a lot more fun to be had, and just you can get a lot more out of it if you just take in the experience as a whole. In my opinion, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it's you know, it, it's stuff like that and interactions like that. I have like made genuine friends at regionals, like people that I met at the regional and connected with online, and I chat with every now and again. And you know, I mean, that's part of the fun. So mm-hmm. you know. Come out to enjoy the community. Uh, keep playing your best, and if you're improving and you're making all the right strides, then the world's invite's going to come to you. That that's just the way I see it. So, in other words, I'm going to go to a regional. I'm going to win, so I have my world's invite. I'll make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to make it happen. But that's going to do it for our news roundup. Let us know what you thought of today's stories. Hit us up on Twitter at Damage Counter, Damage Counter Podcast at gmail.com. If you prefer email and of course we'd love to keep the conversation going with all of you on our community discord as well links to that are in the episode description but now we've done all this talk about the world championships the world championships is going to be taking place in our current standard format battle styles to paldea evolved and if you asked a lot of people what they think the bdif is for this format well hey i'm sure you'd get a lot of answers because this is actually a really crazy balanced format to be honest but I'm sure most of those people would say Gardevoir EX. And you know what? With Worlds coming up, 
Gardevoir being considered the best deck in format and also a deck that we haven't talked about on our 60-card showcase yet. No better time than right now to jump right into it. So let's do it. Another 60-card showcase, another busted deck. It's time to talk some Guardi, my friend. A deck that uh, you have quite a bit of experience with, and it's kind of funny. I guess this is another running theme of the episode. This is another one of those things where it's like, why did it take us so long to get to Guardi EX <laughs> for this segment? Because, you know, you've gone on about how Guardi is one of your favorite Pokemon. You've been enjoying the deck. You built it almost immediately. And it's also the probably the best card to ever come out of like Scarlet and Violet base set. It like instantly made some waves by getting second place at the UIC. But mm-hmm. it took us all the way up to the World Championships to finally talk about it. Well. It's just one of those things, I guess. But anyway, we're going to be talking about Gardevoir EX in our 60-card showcase. Uh, of course, before we get started, as usual... Uh, There's a link to a Google Drive in the episode description down below if you want uh, images of every deck list we've covered here on the show, including today's. You can Mm -hmm. click on that link and check out the list for yourself. We're probably not going to cover every 60 card. I I don't know, we might, but just in case we don't, it's there for you to reference, follow along, and uh, steal if you want to try it out for yourself. So, Gardevoir EX. Josh, what what are we doing here? What's the strat? (laughs) I think the strat's pretty clear. Uh, I doubt there's very many people that don't know about Gardevoir EX. <laughs> yeah, this, this is point. this is probably another one of those things that we don't like need an introduction, but for formality's sake. Yeah. So I mean, we'll give a quick rundown here. Obviously, you want to be trying to build up your Gardevoirs as fast as possible. Uh, they're your main attackers with the deck. You run. Uh, like this line has two two, you run two of the EXs and then you run two of the Gardevoir. Uh what side is that from? The Shining Arcana Gardevoir? That's uh Chilling Rain Gardevoir. Yeah, then you run two of the Chilling Rain Gardevoir. So they basically are your attacker slash and your engine. It's pretty neat. <laughs> yeah, I I gotta say, like, that is absolute like that is the cream of the crop when it comes to stage two decks. If your attackers and your engine are within the same evolution line, like, that is blessed. That is so unbelievably blessed. That saves you so much space. Definitely. And it's not even just the Gardevoirs. Uh, the whole Gardevoir line actually has a lot of useful cards. So, uh, I mean, the Ralts, the Ralts are pretty whatever. You know, it's Ralts. <laughs> you, need, you need them to get to your guys. <laughs> You need them. You, this deck does run one of the memory skip rolls. Uh I don't think that's a bad option at all. Just to have I, a little side option, you know? I, I would say it's almost necessary if you ask me mm-hmm. personally. Um, like, it's it's not as necessary as it used to be, like, back when Olin Volpix was running around everywhere. Um, but it does prove handy in a lot of matchups. Like, uh, you'd be surprised. There are, like, a lot of cards that only have, like, one attack. You know, like Arceus V-Star, Umbreon V-Max, Duraludon V-Max, um, Giratina V-Star, kind of. <laughs> you know, I mean, they can only star Requiem once, right? So, <laughs> yeah. um, 
Yeah, so, like, Memory Skip is, like, you know, back then, like, you had to include it to get around to low and Vulpix, but nowadays you, like, kind of include it as, like, just to kind of be annoying, mm-hmm. which is really helpful, uh, and we'll kind of dig into that a little bit deeper a little bit later, I think, but, uh, I mean, yeah, like, you know, like Josh said, we're all centered around the Gardevoirs here, your main build around being, of course... Around the EX with its psychic embrace ability, allowing you to attach a psychic energy from your discard pile as often as you want, whenever you want during your turn, to any psychic Pokemon, provided that you can put two damage counters on it without knocking it out. Uh, probably one of the most insane energy acceleration abilities I think we've probably yeah. ever seen. That's kind of wild. It's pretty wild. And when you combine that with your other partner, Gardevoir, here, the one from Chilling Grain with Shining Arcana, which. Let you once during your turn you may look at the t- top two cards of your deck and attach any number of basic energy cards you find there to your Pokemon in any way you like. Put the other cards into your hand. I mean, just where you where can you go wrong? You know, that's between those two cards. That's an insane amount of synergy. Yeah, especially considering that the Chilling Rain Gardevoir's attack Brainwave uh, just does more and more damage the more and more psychic energy you have attached to it. So you can kind of like. Kinda... The, the the beautiful like end game situation that you want is that you're just kind of like looping these Gardevoirs where you're like okay, I have used Psychic Embrace to stack an absurd amount of energy on this Gardevoir that I can one shot anything in the game, most things in the game, you, you know it depends. Um, so it's like boom, I'm gonna take this knockout and like now, sure, like you could gust around it, maybe knock out my EX or you know try to go after this that the other, but. If you do, you're just leaving this Gardevoir in play for me to nuke you again next turn, right? So your opponent has to deal with that, and then after they dealt with that, you're like, okay, here's another one. <laughs> you like, <laughs> you basically like, if you can get to a point where you're looping that, where it's like, okay, here's a ginormous brainwave that you can't ignore. Knock it out, cool. I'll evolve this Curly into a Gardevoir. I'll promote. I'll stack a bunch of energy on it, and now. There's another nuclear bomb that you cannot ignore. <laughs> and of course you have that with the Zation V as well. You know, the storm slash attack. Basically, yeah. it's literally the exact same thing as Brainwave. It's actually pretty funny. But uh, yeah, if you can kind of get... Like, that is like the most perfect endgame scenario where it's just like, yep, okay, here's here's a bomb, here's a bomb, here's a bomb. You're not going to touch anything else but what I'm throwing at you. I'm going to take all the prize cards and you're not going to get very much in return. Super sick. Difficult to set up. <laughs> a little <laughs> difficult to set up, but it's an incredibly powerful strategy. Definitely. It's uh it's like you said, it's very powerful. It does take some work to set up, but you do have a fair amount of options to help you in this deck. I mean just uh even getting into who the guard of war the curly is, you run three of the curly is with the ability of refinement, which basically just lets you draw every single turn. So you're able to see a lot of cards pretty early in the game if you can just get your get like at least two Curlias on the bench. You know, you can just start eating through your deck, trying to get through to what you need. You have the Mew with the Mysterious Tail. Uh, I think we're all pretty familiar with that, you know. That's great. If you can start early game with Mew or like Azatian V in the active, you're already in a great position for the most part. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. Mew, you run as a one of, but it's always like, man, if I start that, that's like the best possible start I could ever have. Because yeah, because you don't necessarily care about the Mew too much. It, but it really does help out the early game. Like the Mew makes a huge difference. 
once you get off your feet and get going, it kind of doesn't matter, honestly. So I, that's where the one of really comes from. But I, I definitely say you do still need at least one in the deck. Yeah, just the setup potential from you is really good because, you know, like you said, you want to you wanna be getting some Curlias into play by, like, turn two, right? So you can start drawing cards. Again, you know, Refinement, the classic discard, draw two. Um, you know, really good engine. We've seen it on multiple Pokemon throughout the years, most infamously on Zoroark GX back in the day. Very powerful ability. But, you know, to kind of get that engine set up, you need to you need to establish a board full of Ralts. So best way to do that is to get Mew into the active, help you dig just a little bit more on turn one than you probably normally would be able to, and hopefully find a battle VIP pass in there. If you find a battle VIP pass, man, you are cooking. But that's like every deck in this format, which is kind of kind of lame. But you know, it is what it I is. Mean, yeah, I mean, you grab you, if you have VIP in your deck and you grab VIP, you're cooking. <laughs> oh yeah, that's how, yeah. that's how VIP works. Yeah, until that card rotates, this is kind of how things work. I mean, uh, Psychic Energy does have a huge benefit in the form of Fog Crystal, which I'll touch on real quick since I guess that's a more psychic particular card. But Fog Crystal is amazing. Basically, you can just get a. Uh, Psychic Energy or Basic Psychic Pokemon from your deck whenever you need it, just off of Fog Crystal. It's insanely powerful. Yeah, it's like one of those search cards that's like good throughout the entirety of the game, right? Because, like, yeah. you know, you got the VIP pass, you got the level ball. Those are good in the early game, of course. You know, VIP pass in the early, early game. But, you know, after you've established a board of, like, Ralts and Curlia, like, the level ball kind of becomes useless. And, of course, again, the Battle VIP pass is just straight up useless. Right, so eventually those kind of become cards that like you don't want to see, but like with the fog crystal, it's like okay, in the early game this gets me a Ralts. In the mid to late game, this gets me energies for me to discard off of refinement so that I can psychic embrace them into play later. Right, like it's I don't know, it's just Definitely. like one of those things. It's just like you know the utility is just so good for this deck specifically. Yeah, I mean, in the fact that you don't care about your psychic energies being in the discard is just great because, like you said, you can just. Mid late game, uh, fog crystal psychic energy refinement, fog crystal psychic energy, uh, concealed cards. You know, it's that is one very big advantage to the deck is you can really afford just to thin out your hand by throwing away those energies and you just don't care at all. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, th this deck thins like no other, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, between taking two out of the deck and getting one out of hand with refinement. Uh, and, you know, of course, the, the occasional discard off of, like, Ultra Ball and, you know, stuff like that here and there, research. Uh, I mean, yeah, you, you can thin your deck pretty quick. Uh, so definitely no problems there. <laughs> definitely. It's very strong. Uh, I mean, this whole deck is insanely strong, especially with the release of Iano. That's just the huge buff for Gardevoir. Iano really did, like, something amazing to this archetype, man. Like... And it wasn't even that long ago that we were playing in the Scarlet and Violet format that, like, we were playing Guardi without Iono. And, like, A, first off, that's just hard for me to imagine, <laughs> which is crazy because that's a format that I played against a lot of Guardi in Scarlet and Violet because my testing group was playing it. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, trying to imagine a Guardi deck without four Iono is just, like... I'm just like I, I am like, like visibly cringing over here just thinking about it. I'm like, ew, why would you do that? <laughs> like, for <laughs> research? Oh god, don't <laughs> oh, play the Iano, please. But because uh, it's like so good, man. Because like 
you know, obviously research is great. I'm not trying to say that research is a bad card. Obviously, discard draw seven is insane, but you know, this is a stage two deck. This is a setup deck. You need to kind of like being a like just sure you're fine with discarding like psychic energy and you know as the game continues things like battle vip pass and level ball and stuff like that like sure you're fine discarding all that stuff but what you're not mm -hmm. fine discarding are your pokemon or possibly some supporters possibly some stadiums and it's just like when you don't have iano and you have to rely on research like we did in the scarlet and violet format like that just leads to some really awkward situations where you're sitting here like well the only way I stay in this game is if I play research, but I'm going to lose a lot of resources in the process. Iano <laughs> kind of just solves that. Iano says, okay, listen, you get to keep the resource. They're going to go back into the deck, at the bottom of the deck specifically. But in mm -hmm. the early game, you're going to have a solid draw supporter that keeps your resources around. And in the late game, you're going to have one of the best hand disruptions the game has ever seen. I mean, it it, it is nothing but perfect for this deck. Definitely. It's... It's like you said, it's just perfect. <laughs> uh, I think that about sums up Gardevoir. Honestly, it's... This deck's uh, easy to learn, I would say, to an extent, but decently hard to actually master. Quite I think difficult if, to master, yeah. If, if you want to play Gardevoir, you're, it, I would not recommend just picking this up with the weekend before regionals and taking it. It... If you want to play this deck, it's obviously very good, but it does uh, require some knowledge and being used to your sequencing and things like that and whatnot. That's pretty important in this deck. Yeah, sequencing is actually a huge deal with this deck. And it's every time I've tried to play it, it's bitten me. Because, um, you know, there's a few times where it's just like, okay, well, I don't have any psychic energy in hand but I need to draw to kind of find it. But if I draw with refinement, then I don't get to, you know, use that refinement to discard any energy I might find. So it's like, sometimes you're going to be asking yourself, do I refinement or do I shining arcana first? Do I keep, if I find energy on the shining arcana, do I keep it or, or do I attach it? You know, and it's, you know, just these tiny little mistakes are going to give you like these small little road bumps that are going to keep you from like having the most optimal turns. Right. Because I've had a situation just like that, right? Where, like, I hastily Ultra Ball for, for like, I don't know, like a, like a Ralts or a Curlyorization or something. Something I didn't exactly need just in that moment. And then I go Shining Arcana and find an energy. I'm like, well, I, I could have discarded that with the Ultra Ball. And I used my refinement earlier. And it's just like, ah, well, now I've got the Psychic Energy in hand. I can't, ah, what do I do? You know? <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that. So it, it, it can get surprisingly complex. And then there's also the element of, like, your Stage 2 deck. So you take multiple mm -hmm. turns to set up in a format with insanely powerful VMAX and V-Star Pokemon. Of course, the reward definitely outweighs the risk. Psychic Embrace, just the sheer damage potential that Gardevoir and Zation produce is absurd, but you know, it's going to take you some time to get there. Uh, and between Definitely. being like a stage two deck, and then you're doing all the discard draw, search, shuffle, discard draw, search, shuffle, the actions start to pile up, and time does end up becoming a problem for this deck at like bigger tournaments. So, it's something like, if you're going to commit to playing this, commit to playing it that way that you don't like run into those issues definitely i have to agree you know and then there's also the fact that a lot of people say this is bdif and might be trying to target you so <laughs> you know keep that in mind i guess 
Mm-hmm. In fact, actually, that's part of why I included the Mirage Step Curlia on our deck list for this for this segment, uh, as I think that's a fairly creative way to get around like Lost City. That yeah. way, you have like Ralts and Curlias in play. That way, if some of them get Lost City, you still have like the insurance of being able to like evolve a Curlia into a Gardevoir, and then Rare Candy this Ralts into a Gardevoir, and still kind of like keep up your momentum and get less burned by Lost City. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, it, it, one of those things, but anyway, it is what it is. Definitely. It's a it's a very fun deck, I think, for the most part. Uh, I think I've touched about just about everything in the deck. Uh, I would highly recommend playing it if you're interested in it. Uh, like I said, I wouldn't immediately take it to a tournament, but obviously to your locals or just in your free time. If you're interested in playing Gardevoir, I think it's a good option to pick. I think it's a very safe option for the near and far-ish future. It's it's too hard to say far-far, you know, just because you never know what's going to happen with Pokemon. Mm-hmm. But, in my opinion, Gardevoir is kind of in the same tier as Mew to an extent. I mean, these just the way th- this card works and the natural connection of like how its evolution lines and whatnot go together... It's going to be very hard for Gardevoir to become a bad deck, in my opinion, unless something that just comes out and eats psychic types for breakfast, you know? Yeah, that would probably be what it takes, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, I mean, I don't know. I think Mew has shown us over the time, just as long if the core is solid, that's really all you need if the players are dedicated enough. So, I think Gardevoir is a very safe pick for a deck that you want to play and know it's going to be consistently good. Not to mention, I think it also makes for pretty good practice for the future of the game. Uh, you know, we're seeing with the Scarlet and Violet design philosophies that, um, you know, the, the designers are very much trying to get the game back to an evolving stage two metagame, uh, similar to how it was in the Ruby Sapphire era, similar to how it was to the early Sun and Moon era. You know, they're trying to get us back to that way. And that, you know, it's kind of been a while since we've had a stage two format, right? And mm-hmm. for some of us newer players, you know, that maybe started in, like, the the 2022 season, Sword and Shield to Brilliant Stars, you know, you know, maybe they've never played a Stage 2 deck before and have only done, like, you know, the VMAX V-Stars type, de- type deal, right? So, you know, could be good practice just to get all that kind of stuff under your belt. You know, familiarize yourself with how that works or how that how that feels, how you put a strategy with a Stage 2 together because it, it is different. It is very different. <laughs> Definitely. But I think that's going to wrap it up for Gardevoir in our 60-card showcase. Again, a lot of people consider it to be the BDIF. We'll have to see if it lives up to that title at the World Championships coming up. But in the meantime, let us know what you think of Gardevoir and what you think of its chances at the World Championships. Hit us up on Twitter at DamageCounter, DamageCounterPodcast at gmail.com if you prefer email. And of course, you can keep the conversation going with us on our community Discord as well. Yeah, and as always, if you have a deck that you want us to go over here on the podcast, we'd love to talk about it. It uh, doesn't have to be standard. It could be any format. just has to be an actual format. But uh, we'd love to talk about any deck that you uh, love. If it's from a past era, if it's a retro deck, you know. I I think there's more niche options than a lot of people think about it first. Uh Phelan and I, like we talk about, we love doing like retro blocks and stuff, and we would be more than happy to talk about your favorite like 
deck from a block or something. Yeah, we're a big fan of the block formats, and we do have some uh, some alternate format content lined up for our next episode, but getting a little ahead of ourselves here, because it's time for us to get into our main segment. That's right, the World Championships are this weekend, and it's time for us to talk about it. We love Worlds, obviously it's the culmination of the competitive season, the best players are going to be in Yokohama, Japan, fighting it out for the title of world champion. And we're here to give you some predictions. So let's get into it. Ah, it is that time of year again. It's kind of crazy. It Part of like, it kind of doesn't really feel like it was that long ago that we like covered the last world championships, right? You know, at the beginning yeah. of the season... Arceus Flying Pikachu won the 2022 World Championships, and like three weeks later, we were kicking off the next series with Baltimore in the same format, right? I don't know, it just doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but here we are, getting ready for the 2023 World Championships happening in Yokohama, Japan. I'm pretty excited, man. How, how, how are you feeling just overall, like going into Worlds, right? We've had a pretty long season, uh, half of it dictated by the terrible Sword and Shield to Crown Zenith slash Silver Tempest metagame. That <laughs> thankfully is not the world's format. Just, you know, we'll, we'll kick things off. Just general, leading up to this between Baltimore and now. How have things played out? How are you feeling about it? Uh, Just a general overview of the entire year. Yeah. I feel pretty good for the most part. There was definitely some rough periods. Uh, Silver Tempest I did, did not go the way. <laughs> I think a lot of brutal. us thought it would. Yeah, it was brutal. It, it, it definitely ended up being a lot more brutal than uh, I think a lot of us initially expected. I know you you were so, so excited for Silver Tempest. And once we finally got there... <laughs> See, ah, there was a lot of potential for a lot of cards in that set, and Lugia just said no. <laughs> yeah. Lugia said, don't worry about it. <laughs> said, I got this. BDIF for six months. Here we go. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, I mean, that was obviously the biggest issue there. It was just that format was so long, which, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I think... I think overall, though, the... This year has been a pretty good year for Pokemon. Uh, Scarlet and Violet has definitely brought a lot of interesting things to the table. EXs, I absolutely adore. I'm so glad this is kind of the direction that it feels like they're taking the game. Uh, I really like that we're kind of slowing it back down some, you know, getting more into actually having evolution lines, have a reason to have single prizes in your deck again is pretty cool. Yeah, like having having turns to actually like set up instead of deciding the game in like four or five turns. Definitely, it's, yeah, it's yeah. good stuff. Yeah, for sure. All, all right. Well, we have the World Championships coming up this weekend, and it's you know it it has been a while since I think we've done a meta discussion. Well, I guess not really. We did one for NAIC, but that was. That was like a month or so ago, right? You know, we're overdue for for another meta discussion. Um, and, of course, the World Championships will be in the same format as the North America International Championships were. Uh, the Battle Styles to Paldea Evolved format. So, um, 
pretty cool honestly i'm i'm a big fan of worlds being in these established formats right uh because we've seen in the past like world championships do crazy things like oh hey a new set is legal on day one of worlds so you can use the new set that nobody's played with and it's this brand new format or you know them doing a rotation like right before world so it's like a brand new format you know they've done stuff like that in the past and generally I'm not a big fan of that kind of stuff. I prefer worlds to be in a established format so the skilled, you know, so, you know, this is the world's best players. So they, they have, you know, all the metagame knowledge and they can really come up with something really cool or, you know, play really cool established archetypes to the best of their ability, see some really optimized Pokemon. So I'm pretty excited for the world championships this year for that reason. You know, we got a taste of the format and the North America International Championships. Now it's time to see what can be done so i think we're just going to go ahead and jump right into it let's start breaking down some of the decks uh that we expect to see at the world championships how we expect them to do and uh you know coming straight off our 60 card showcase i, I it makes it makes so much sense for us to just start with gardevoir right a lot of people consider it to be the best deck in format we just talked about why it might be the best deck in format in our previous segment i mean the power level for this deck is just absurd you have just an insane amount of damage. Your prize trade is, you know, so aggressive. You know, you give a one prizer that takes three prizes, right? And you force them to have to deal with it. It's a powerful strategy. It got all the pieces that it was missing in Paldea Evolved with Iano, with Super Rod, Artisan, Reversal Energy. It got so many tools in this last set. And I don't know, man. I, I typically am a BDIF hater. I typically don't think too highly of it because so many people are targeting it, especially for something as important as the World Championships. But man, Guardi's pretty powerful, man. I I wouldn't be surprised if it takes it all home. Definitely. Uh, definitely, I think there's going to be a lot of people gunning for it. But at the same time, uh, I think Guardi's in such a good spot that it's going to be all right. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, again, you gotta, you gotta think some of the best players in the world are going to be participating in this. And we've seen some very talented players play Gardevoir to great finishes, right? Toward Reklev getting second place at EUIC with Gardevoir, Henry Brand winning Milwaukee Regionals with Gardevoir. Uh, there were mm -hmm. like two or three of them in top eight at NAIC, right? I mean, there's a lot of people on this deck, a lot of very talented players on this deck and uh makes it makes it hard to argue against you know definitely i think the big thing i the big question mark i think for me when it comes to gardevoir is like you know like we mentioned in the 60 card showcase time is kind of a big factor with guardy right your games are going to go long you're taking several actions you're taking several turns to get set up and you know, while you might be able to afford a tie or two at regionals or ICs, at the World Championships, ties are basically losses, right? So it mm -hmm. makes me wonder if, you know, players going to Worlds are going to avoid it for that reason. You know what I mean? Like, Guardi's being very respected right now. We're seeing a bunch of dark types, a bunch of Lost City being played, uh, Path, Hand Disruption decks. You know, Guardi is in the targets of a lot of players right now that combined with the time factor i could see that being a fairly risky play 
You know, like, Ooh. obviously the BDIF is very strong. It's very good. It's a safe play in that way, but it's also a very risky play, which I guess is a little weird to say, but I don't know. That's just kind of what comes to mind. Definitely. I, uh, I think I agree with you pretty wholly. Uh, it's a very safe option to pick, I think. And you know it's going to perform well. And like you said, in a scenario where you know ties are going to be losses, uh, having a tech like Gardevoir that you know can do big damage numbers kind of as you need it to is a really nice option to have just so you don't have to worry quite as much about getting stalled out. You know what I mean? You do have to know Gardevoir well to not stall yourself out, kind of like how we talked about earlier. You can run the time pretty easily playing Gardevoir. So you do have to worry about that. Yeah, and I think that's going to be, like, the biggest determining factor for somebody, right? Because, like, you know, the Guardi experts are like, okay, I've played this deck. I know how to sequence it. I know how to get through games without going to time. But, like, the people who aren't as familiar with it, that's probably going to be, like, the killing point for them where they're just like, nah, nah, I'm good. I'll, I'll, I'll play something else. Maybe something's a little faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, I think especially with, since we covered this deck in particular on our 60-card showcase, uh, we've talked about Gardevoir enough. So I'm going to go ahead and just move on to one of the next top contenders that I think you're really going to have to watch out for, which is just Lost Zone Box, which that might be a little ambiguous because Lost Zone Box can be a lot of different things. But... many forms, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's just something you got to be prepared for, you know? Yeah, I mean, Lost Box has proven since it's, you know, since the archetype became a thing in Lost Origin that it has consistently been one of the best decks in the game. Um, for a lot of the same reasons that Guardi is really good, right? Like, you're completely low to the ground, one prize deck, you have a self-contained engine uh, that's fairly consistent in and of itself with powerful one prize attackers that you have just, like, some of the most aggressive prize trading in the game uh, right there alongside Guardi. And, you know, uh, another reason why you might expect to see this deck is that it is one of the few decks that has a really strong Guardi matchup thanks to the likes of Sableye, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, Paldea Evolved, I think, gave Guardi some tools to deal with that, namely Iano and Super Rod, try to disrupt the... Uh, to disrupt the Lost Box player and, you know, being able to get your Pokemon back without burning a supporter, I think, uh, is really good for Guardi in that matchup specifically. But even those, I think, aren't enough to stop, like, Lost Box from just having a favorable matchup anyway, right? Because, you know, and I think we covered this before, uh, you know, back very early in the Paldea Evolve format, how the Lost Box players have found a way to play around that kind of stuff, right? So, um you know, you got to love that kind of tenacity. Um, what I find interesting is that, you know, again, like you said, there's a lot of these different flavors of Lost Box. You got the Turbo Lost Box. You have, uh, you know, the one prize deal with like Zamazenta and stuff. You have the Sky Seal Stone that tries to take extra prizes on VMAX and V-Stars and things of that nature. Um, you know, you have all these different variants. What I find interesting is that, you know, early in the Paldea Evolved format, a lot of people were kind of down on Kyogre variants, right? Like, that kind of just, like, dominated the Scarlet and Violet metagame. But as we get to Paldea Evolved, early in that format, there was just Iano everywhere. There's still Iano everywhere. And early in that format, some decks were even playing, like, two Manaphy just to get people to stop playing Kyogre. Mm -hmm. um, but I've started to see some talk recently about Kyogre maybe making a comeback for the Lost Box decks. Um... 
And I'm not really sure if I agree, but you never really can count out the Aqua Storm, right? I mean, it's such a powerful option if you know how to get that combo consistently, if you know how to route your plays to get to that point. All you need to do is take two prize cards and keep that Kyogre safe, and you've won the game, essentially, right? Which is kind of insane to think about. Yeah, definitely. It is pretty crazy. So yeah, a lot of people are talking about Kyogre coming into this event. I think I personally, like for Lost Box, I think I'm still on Team Turbo, I think. It, it's just hard to argue with 7 in the Lost Zone, turn 1 going 2nd. Or, you know, getting pretty close to that turn one going first, which is just absurd to think about. Of course, you have the power of, like, Dragonite, and you can get to the Sableye really fast. And, you know, the idea of just, like, taking all your prize cards before your opponent has any, like, your Ion, before your opponent's Ionos, like, do anything to really disrupt you. Yeah. Kind of nuts. Uh, I, I think it's a pretty strong strategy, but I personally... I mean, Lost Box has that same problem as Guardia, where it's just like you're taking several actions a turn. You know, you have to think about what you're Lost Zoning off of the Comb Phase and the Colrus, and you're constantly checking your discard, your hand, the Lost Zone, trying to make sure you're making the right decisions. Lost Box probably has more problems with ties than I think any other deck that I've ever seen in this game. Mm -hmm. But also, I gotta be honest, I think... I don't think the format's that great for Lost Box right now, personally. Obviously, like, Gardevoir is very good, and it's good to have a good Guardi matchup, but with a lot of people gunning Guardi and showing at NAIC that it's not like Mew VMAX levels of meta dominance. It is the, you know, a lot of people will say it's the BDIF, but, you know, it's a lot more vulnerable than, you know, Mew VMAX from Brilliant Stars or Lugia from Crown Zenith, right? It can be taken down a notch if it's countered, right? And... A lot of the counters that counter Guardi also kind of do really well in the Lost Box. So things like Arceus Duraludon Umbreon, for example, has a great Lost Box matchup. It also has a great Guardi matchup. Things like Urshifu Inteleon can hit both Guardi and Lost Box, right? So I'm not really sure. Assuming that the play field is going to be heavy Guardi counters, which I kind of feel like it probably will be, at least in my opinion... I don't think I want to be playing Lost Box in a format like that. You know what I mean? Uh, no, I have to agree with you. I think Lost Box isn't in the best spot right now. It's definitely not in a bad spot. And I mean, as you can tell, it's perform it is performing well. Uh, but I just really don't think the general format is really leaning towards Lost Box. I, I do agree with that. And honestly, in my opinion, if I was going to play Lost Box, I would rather just play Giratina Lost Box. Personally, I. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I just. Man, like, there's really no reason not to, you know? It's like, yeah, you can play Lost Zone Box with pretty much anything, but, like. And this is kind of cutting into a deck we're going to cover later, but I, we could just loop them together. Yeah, we'll, we'll, no, we'll, yeah. We, we, we can just go into it next, but go, yeah, on, yeah. go ahead. Anyway, it's just. Alright, so. I mean, you have Giratina, right? That has an OTK built into his kit. Really solid damage, all around great attacker, easy to get online, you know. It's just built naturally to work with the Lost Zone engine, literally as, you know, a Lost Zone card. It's just, personally, I feel like if you're going to play Lost Zone Box right now, you're 
best off going with Giratina. I think you get a lot of advantages from Giratina. I think it's all around just easier to deal with. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of me personally. I don't know how you feel about it. I am right there with you. And I've been, listen, let me say, I've been looking forward to this conversation. I'm not going to lie. Because mm-hmm. finally, a lot of people in the you know the community, like on Twitter and in online tournaments, like Giratina Lost Zone Box has been seeing a lot of play uh, recently. Like it's been winning a ton of online tournaments. Of course, the deck has already been seeing like a ton of play in Japan, right? Like, like Giratina Lost Zone has been one of the highest rated decks in Japan uh, for a long time now. Uh, and, you know, finally, recently after NAIC, people are starting to play it over here in the international areas. Uh, which, by the way, that's another thing that we have to consider for this event, right? This is Worlds in Japan. You know, there's going to be more Japanese players that are going to be able to attend, right? So we kind of have mm-hmm. to think about how they do their metagame, right? And again, for this format specifically, Giratina is just very popular over there. But um, So I've been looking forward to this. So people are finally playing Giratina, finally seeing its strengths. And I'm just looking back at all of our episodes from the Scarlet and Violet format being like... Is this the regional where Giratina finally sees its win? The meta's looking good. And we were admittedly wrong every time. But listen, we listen, we're, we're not we're not hopping on it because everyone else is hopping on it, okay? We've been here. We knew this deck was good, bro. <laughs> listen, we I think we both truly believe that the only reason this deck really hasn't won yet is just uh it has not been really getting played over here. Because yeah, because nobody's playing it can't win if nobody's playing it, right? Yeah. I mean, uh I really don't know why Giratina has been so unpopular here in the States. But it, when you look at like other areas of the world, pretty much you know Europe, or at least Europe, Japan, you know the biggest contenders, Giratina is insanely popular over those formats. Yeah, it definitely sees a lot more play everywhere else in the world than <laughs> here. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm not even going to go into trying to figure out why but i do agree i think i think giratina is uh pretty well positioned uh for the world's format again there's just a lot well hey first off your guardy matchup is great right like you have a pretty solid guardy matchup all things considered may not be as like strong as lost boxes matchup against guardy but it's still really good right so you have a good guardy matchup and you have a good matchup into the things that Guardy doesn't like to see, right? Like, you have a fighting chance into Lugia. You absolutely just smack Duraludon. Like, you don't care about Duraludon at all. You've got a good Mew matchup, uh, more or less. Basically, anything that's just, like, predominantly multi-prizers, Giratina is just going to eat them alive. And if you look at the metagame outside of Gardevoir and the Lost Box, Lugia, Arceus Duraludon, Fusion Mew, Arceus Giratina, Chien Pao... Other Arceus variants, Palkia even, right? Like, there are just multi-prizers everywhere. This is such a V-Star heavy format right now. And Giratina is loving it. You get that free Star Requiem KO, Lost Impact, one-shots, basically everything in the game that's relevant, right? And then it has that one-prize package, you know, to to kind of prevent it from getting, like, uptraded so aggressively, Right? You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's just in a strong position. And again, you know, we've been preaching this ever since Scarlet and Violet. I'm just going to say that. But, you know, it, it just feels so good, honestly, right now. And, it, you know, especially with the jet energy f- 
from Paldea Evolved, with, with Super Rob from Paldea Evolved. I think those were the cards that, like, I don't know, those were cards that just Giratina was just missing in the last format, right? Like, it didn't have enough room for switching options, and the recovery options were all supporter-based, or exclusively got energy, which just felt kind of bad for Giratina, but... I mean, you know, having that in your energy count now, extra switch options, and having item-based recovery is just, like, so good for this deck. It puts it on another level, and it terrifies me. <laughs> Definitely, I have to agree. Like, I almost nearly played it to NAIC, to be honest with you. Like, it's so good. Mm -hmm. So, I do think that Giratina is going to have a pretty good performance at Worlds. I do expect to see at least one in top eight. Um, will it win the whole thing? I personally have a different deck lined up to win the whole thing, but I do think Giratina is going to have a very deep run, and I do think it has, it, like, it's just so strongly positioned for this metagame that, like, it's, it's just so good. Definitely, I'm right there with you. Well, let's talk about the big bird in the room, Lugia Archeops, a deck that's kind of been a scourge for this, most of this season, of course, fallen from the heights that it had in the Crown Zenith metagame. Uh, saw some pretty consistent success in the Scarlet and Violet metagame, but we get over to Paldea Evolved, and it seems like a lot of people are just kind of down on Lugia, which is a little weird to me, right? Mm -hmm. I've made it known that I just think Lugia feels terrible, right? I played it to a League Challenge a couple weeks ago. I talked about it on the last episode. And man, sometimes that deck is just a pile, dude. And it feels bad to play. And that hasn't changed, right? That's been consistent since Crown Zenith, since Silver Tempest. But the power of the archetype is clearly there, right? Like, you've yeah. got these big, beefy Pokemon, Lugia V-Star and Tyranitar V. You have a mill option against one-prizers. And you can basically one-shot anything in the game with Tyranitar V's single-strike crush. The power and the merits of Lugia and you know, in this general format, I think is strong. But for some so, reason, not a lot of people have been playing it. And I find that perplexing. I'm not sure if I have an answer as to why. So, my honest opinion, for the most part, is... Uh, I would just say, while Lugia Archeops definitely is not bad, like, at all right now. It is still... I mean, it is a pile. We've said that quite a few times. Playing Lugia, you, your deck is a pile. That's just that's just how it is, you know? So, even with as consistent as it is, I don't know. I've tried out Lugia. There still is a decent amount of inconsistency options. Or, like, chances for that to happen or to get bad starts or lag. It's very. It could be very scary, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it just... It feels like more work then it's worth when there's a lot of other powerful decks that can dominate the game. I mean, just look at Guardi. It feels a lot more rewarding to play, a lot more consistent, in my opinion. Lugia is not bad, and if it gets off the ground, you definitely are <laughs> probably going to lose the game, honestly. But, uh... I don't know. I think that, combined with just the fact of how much it lost even back from rotation, even though it's been a minute, I think people are still kind of turned off on it, just because it really did take some hits, you know? Needed hits, but... Yeah, yeah. I just don't think people have been very interested in digging deep and trying to, like, bring out the maximum potential of it since then, in my opinion. 
Yeah, and I think I think you bring up an interesting point there, right? There, like specifically, there are a lot of decks in this format that could potentially win the world championships, right? Like, uh, you know, like I said earlier, this is probably one of the most balanced, most even formats I've ever seen in my life. Because if you really break down the matchups for a lot of these decks, it's like. Yeah, uh, Guardy, you beat this, you beat this, you're even into everything else, you lose to Lost Box. Lost Box, you beat Guardy, uh, you know, you beat this, you beat this, you're even into everything else, right? Like, yeah. that's that, like that's all it ends up being for this metagame, right? And, you know, in a metagame where all the meta decks more or less have even matchups, and it's really like a skill thing, and of course, you know, luck and variance is a thing as well, playing the deck that is ha- that is susceptible to the most amount of variance... Yeah, I, I I could see that being a reason why people wouldn't want to play Lugia, especially for the World Championships, right? Like, mm-hmm. to say that you're going to have a deck that has relatively solid matchups across the board, you know, it maybe doesn't like a few of them here and there, but relatively solid matchups across the board. But it all comes down to whether or not your deck just decides to function that game, which... I, I, I was going to say, I mean, just think about it, you know... If you don't get your Archeops in the discard by your turn two, at least you're you're already like way behind and probably gonna lose the game. Like the the start is just uh, so important on Lugia, and yeah. if it does not go your way, the rest of your match is a like upward hill battle for the most part. Especially with these decks that you're playing against right now, uh, they don't have a lot of room for forgiveness if you miss out you know, odd important parts of your kit. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I I suppose the the flip side to that is, you know, just try to balance out the positives with the negatives or vice versa, I suppose. Um, I suppose one benefit to that is is that, like, okay, I drew dead, like, you know, I got a handful of energy and I just could not find, you know, turn two V-Star or I couldn't Mm -hmm. get the Archeops down. You know, at that point, you're probably looking at it, and you, you know, I, I'll scoop it up. Let's go to the next game, right? Like you're getting the games out pretty quick, right? Because if you brick, you identify that you brick, you scoop it up. If you don't brick, you're taking one shots left and right. So even if your opponent doesn't scoop, you're you're probably going to wrap that game up pretty quick, right? So like, <laughs> yeah, from a time perspective, there's there's merits to playing Lugia, but yeah, man, just you know, like you said, just like leaving again out of all the top decks, I think you leave more to variance with any other deck than Lugia, right? Like, that is just the most deck, or rather, the deck that has the most problems with variance, and, you know, yeah, I I just think for the World Championships, I personally wouldn't do it. I know there are some brave souls that will, but I personally wouldn't. Those are a little bit of extreme circumstances. I think, obviously, Lugia performs decently consistently, or it just would not be played as much as it is right now, but... Honestly, I think the main reason is, personally, is just, it's like, there are so many other powerful decks that are just less work than Lugia yeah. is, at the end of the day. It's, uh, I don't know, I mean, it. I guess we'll just have to see. It could come out and surprise us, but I'm gonna be honest, it's, I, I'm sure it's gonna make some deep runs, but it's not really on my radar to take anything yeah, I, I think I agree. Deep runs for sure, just because the deck is just so powerful. Uh, honestly, a pretty safe, you know, at least one of in top eight 
most likely. I, I could definitely see that. Um, well, okay. I mean, let, let's be honest. I think every deck we talk about here today, I think I could potentially see winning. See in the top eight, yeah, but, winning. Uh, yeah, Lugia Archaeops a little further down on that totem pole for me. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> but I think that about covers Lugia Archaeops. So the next deck list we're going to be talking about is uh, Arceus Duraludon Umbreon. Now. I think this list actually has a fair amount of potential. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I have to agree. I played this at Milwaukee Regionals uh, for the Scarlet and Violet metagame, and I mean, wow, dude, this deck has just an absurd matchup spread. Like, you do fairly well into other Arceus decks. You eat Gardevoir and Lost Zone for breakfast. Lugia, pff, just <laughs> you throw a Duraludon in their face, and there's not really much they can do about it. Um, you know, there's a few questionable matchups here and there between, like, Mew and Chen Pao, and especially, and here's the biggest thing, like, this would probably be my go-to deck for Worlds if it wasn't for this. Giratina seeing a lot of play right now, and the last deck I want to play in a format where Giratina is seeing popularity is Duraludon. Like, mm -hmm. Duraludon gets cooked by Giratina, so that's, like, the one... That's like the one thorn in the side for me for Duraludon Umbreon, but like otherwise, like in theory, right, should be pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, honestly, I don't think we need to go too deep into Duraludon Umbreon. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. You know, it's got some standard coverage. Umbreon is a pretty solid backup attacker, along with you know uh, the ability to. Uh, boss anything you need as an ability with dark signal which is just insanely powerful so good especially in a game state where we are now here in scarlet and violet where there's just uh less switching options options all around you know we all uh struggle a lot more if someone is able to get a pokemon into the active that we don't want there especially mid to late game if a couple bosses have already been traded uh being able to have dark signal it's really nice. <clears throat> and if you already have Umbreon down on the bench, I mean, it's a 310 HP uh, attacker that does 160. That's pretty respectable base. And being a dark type, that's, like, one of the best types to be right now in a format dominated by, like, Guardi, right? And, you know, Mew's still running around, so being able Definitely. to hit that for weakness is just so much value. And Gust, yeah. all in the same Pokemon. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Umbreon really is the king of value, or one of them at least. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's just all around... Sorry, go ahead. <clears throat> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but... No, you're good. But yeah, I mean, it's like the quintessential, like, Arceus counter deck right now, right? Like, yeah. again, like, the Umbreon just allows you to be clinical with the knockouts that you're taking. Duraludon is just so difficult for so many decks to deal with. Um, you know, between like Lost Box doesn't deal a ton of damage, or generally speaking, doesn't deal a ton of damage, so they have difficulties dealing with Duraludon. Lugia, being entirely reliant on special energies, gets walled by Duraludon, having to set up a very predictable single strike Urshifu, you know, something that you could see coming from a mile away, you know, stuff like that. And again, just having that big wall for decks to deal with, it, it's difficult, man, but. You know, it, it, it's a very powerful deck. Um, and like I said, I think I, I think the possibility that like Chen Pao and Giratina are probably going to see a good amount of play 
is like the biggest deterrent for me personally for Arceus Duraludon. Um and probably I I do genuinely think probably for that reason I don't think this is Arceus Duraludon's event personally. I could see it winning. I I really do I really could see it winning. But I don't think this is I don't think this is the one, especially after getting second place at NAIC and you know Ian Rob proving that like, hey, this is still a deck in this format. It may not have been popular in Japan, but this is still a strong deck this format. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm feeling a little down on this one personally. Definitely, I agree. Uh, like you said, I, I can see the potential, I can acknowledge it. Personally, I would not take this deck to worlds. Yeah, deep run for sure because Arceus Duraludon always finds a way. I don't know how, <laughs> but it always way. finds a way. <laughs> so I mean, it is what it is. Again, it's it's one of those things where it's just like it looks so good, but like the meta shifts are not in its favor right now. So we'll have to see what happens. Um, but another deck that I that just always finds a way. We have Mew VMAX. It doesn't matter how many counters they print to this card. It's just... It just keeps finding success. It's one, like... The crazy thing, right, is that, like, it's not done particularly great here in, like, the international areas. Um, I, I think it, like, bubbled at NAIC. I think it got, like, anywhere from, like, 9th to 12th. I don't, I don't exactly remember, but... It landed in that top 16 at NAIC. But over in the eastern side of the world, over in like the Asian countries, specifically Japan, I, I mean, this deck has just been winning left and right. I mean, it won the Japan Championships. Uh, it won the Asia Summer Open. It won a few other pretty high-key events uh, prior to those. I mean, this deck refuses to quit and... Let me tell you right now, from personal experience, don't, man, don't bother with that spirit tomb. That thing don't do nothing, bro. I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mew VMAX still uh, here to play. How, what, what do you think about Mew for Worlds? Do you think Do you think the counters come out in droves? What do you think? Probably not in droves. Uh, I could uh, see a respectable amount being played. I guess it's the best way to describe that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's there's definitely going to be people playing it. It's definitely going to be something you have to consider. Now, the crux of the situation is is how I think Mew exists. It's just uh, are there enough counters for Mew and people's decks to help keep it down to beat it? Because at this point, I think that's pretty much how it works with Mew. Are you able to put Mew in a situation where you can just beat it up real fast and <clears throat> try to take the game, you know what I mean? Uh, otherwise, if you can't stall Mew or have some kind of counter to it, you have a fairly good chance of getting run over because Mew's just going to kind of run away. Yeah, if you if you allow Mew VMAX to go unchecked, then you're just going to get steamrolled. Like, that's just, that's just kind of how it is. The deck is just so absurd. It's so fast, so consistent. It hits for an insane amount of it, damage. It's going to find a way to do what it wants anyway, but if you're not actively trying to stop it, it's, it's going to happen uh, guaranteed, you know? I mean, if your opponent has three Genesects on the bench and Mew going and they're just drawing cards and 
slinging damage with the Meloetta or using Mew to do attacks. It's uh, still a very powerful force to be reckoned with. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, this is another one of those situations where I think we have to take into account the fact that Worlds is happening in Japan, right? Because I think I think we get a little too comfortable over here, especially in NA. I think we get a little too comfortable with, like, Mew not really winning things over here. Because, I mean... You know, we, we've gone on and on and on and on about how just how insanely powerful Mew was in the Brilliant Stars format and how that continued in the Astral Radiance format and that just how it was just an absurd deck all the way up to the modern day. But it took all the way up to, to the Scarlet and Violet format for Mew to get its first regional win in NA because so many people target that deck here, right? In Japan... You know, again, we were playing with a bunch of Japanese players now, or rather, in a world's venue that is likely to allow more Japanese players to appear, I should say. Um, you know, over there, you know, just like in Europe, there's just not really that many Mew counters in decks as frequently as there is in NA, right? So, and again, that, that, that goes to show that, you know, in a lot of these Asian tournaments, Mew has been winning a lot. So it kind of becomes a question, you know, for us, that that would be very easy. Oh, Mew wins? Well, it's just going to get countered. Don't play Mew. But over there, you know, does it work the same? Mew keeps winning over there. Are they countering it? Are they choosing to disrespect it? Or, you know, it's just one of those things. So um, I, I am still very much in the camp. I think I said this very early on in the Paldea Vault format, and I still very much believe this. I personally would not want to play Mew. I think the I, I think the field is just way too volatile for you. Um, at least, especially in NA, like it's no longer a question of are people going to counter Mew. It's no people are countering Mew. Like you, as the Mew player, need to be skilled enough to deal with it. Um, it might be a different story over there in the World Championships. Personally, I doubt it. Um, especially since you can tech for Mew just by dedicating one space in your deck you know I, I i think it's safe to assume that most people are going to to do that just to give them that little safety net in the matchup because again this is the world championships you want to try to have that deep run right so i'm not too hot on mew uh and i think out of all the decks we're talking about i think this is in my opinion ironically the one that i have the least likely to succeed, which I th famous last words. Every time I say that, I end up eating my words. Um, but I, but I, that's just kind of how I feel from you right now in this format, personally. Uh, yeah, no, I think you summed it up pretty well there. Uh, I personally don't think I would recommend playing Mew uh, unless it's just like your deck, you know, your thing. Right. Yeah. I uh, mean, if you've been playing Mew since the Fusion Strike days and you never gave up on it, by all means, go off, King. But if that's not you, I probably wouldn't. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good way to look at it. But uh, there's not too much else, I think, uh, that needs to be said about Mew. I think I'd wrap it up by just saying definitely still keep it in considerations. Uh, you need to be able to deal with it. You need to have an option to deal with it, in my opinion. If you don't have an option to deal with it... Uh, <laughs> 
you're in a really bad spot. You're in for a world of hurt. And at this point, I think it's pretty easy to have a solution to deal with it that's not even like, hey, this is my Mew solution. It's. I think there's enough options now that it's like, hey, I got this in case I run into Mew, but it also was able to help me out in this scenario, this scenario, you know. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a decent amount of versatility to it. It's, it's not like back in the old games, old days, where everyone was just jamming every dark type they could find in a deck trying to figure out how to... <laughs> Yeah, playing like sub, like subpar dark type Pokemon, or just going Marnie Path Prey. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. We have better options for it now. Anyway, uh, the next one I don't think we need to go too in depth over since we've already kind of covered it. But uh, Arceus Giratina. So I'm just gonna put my opinion out there right now, and I do not think it's a bad deck. Uh, Arceus Giratina, I think, is very solid. Personally, I would rather play uh, Lost Zone Box. Of course, I have been that way since day one. So right. I might be a little biased in that answer, but I just think... Uh, I don't know, I just think that's the better way to do it in the long run. I think it's a little easier on you. It's a little uh, smoother ride, in my opinion. It's a little less janky getting off the ground. Yeah, and I think... That... Uh... You know, it's kind of interesting, right? Because there's just, like, both of these decks are just, like, absurdly powerful because of Giratina. The way I see it is that Arceus Giratina is a lot easier to pilot. It's just, get your Arceus set up, Trinity Nova to set up your Giratina, and then hit your opponent with a barrage of Path Iano, Path Judge, you know, stuff like that, and just say, hey, do you have an out? To what I just did to you this last turn. I took a big knockout with Lost Impact. And I hit you with an Iano Judge. Or a Iano Path or Judge Path or whatever. Do you have a response? If not, I'm running away with this game type beat. You know, a lot easier to play. Very simple to set up and go. But it leaves a little bit out of your control, right? Like if your opponent draws well off the Iano or off of the Judge. Or is able to get out of those situations... Or is able to, you know, quickly deal with an Arceus before you can set up two Giratina. You know, stuff like that. Like, there there are some chinks in the armor there. Whereas the Giratina deck, or the, sorry, the Lost Zone Giratina deck, a lot more difficult to play. A lot of decisions to make with the Comphase and with the Colruses and, you know, having to be clinical with stuff like that. Having that one prize element. All these different things. But I think the reward for playing the Lost variant is much higher, right? Of course, you have mm -hmm. access to Star Requiem, so the things that are outside of the Lost Impact you can deal with, right? That's something that uh, Arceus Giratina can struggle with sometimes if they're faced with, like, a VMAX. You know, they just don't have a way to whittle it down first. They have to Lost Impact and then, like, hope that they can pivot back into the Arceus later to deal with it or something like that, you know? Um, so it's one of those things. It's like, do you want the power of Giratina and an easier deck to play, you know, possibly more consistent. I guess it really depends on your draws, more or less. Or do you want, you know, the slightly more technical variant of Giratina that offers much better rewards if you're skilled enough to pilot it, right? It's kind of an interesting dichotomy between the two archetypes. Definitely. It definitely is. Uh, and like I said, it's definitely not a bad deck. Uh, it's just, I don't know, I think, like you said, uh, and especially going into a situation like Worlds, uh, you really do need, probably, I think you need the advantage of the Lasso box, and just, 
uh, the extra tools that it offers you for your mid to late games. Because, I mean, Arceus Giratina... I think people are just going to be able to shut it down a little too easy, in my opinion. It's a... Especially in a format where there is a lot more single prizes and stuff like that going on. I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of leaning super heavily into the V-Stars either. I, I think if you're playing just straight Arceus Giratina with just, just the Arceus, just the Giratina, and just your Babarel engine, I I don't know. I feel like you're leaving yourself a little too weak in certain matchups. I personally believe that if you're playing Arceus Giratina that you need to have like some kind of tech option in there. And we've seen a couple different options, right? We've seen like 1-1-0 and Volpix to help make your Guardi matchup a little bit better because in my opinion, I think Arceus Giratina has a terrible Guardi matchup in my opinion. Uh, I would agree with that. And that's also another reason that I just really don't think I would consider it. Yeah, it, it's kind of a hard sell, right? So like, I think you need a tech because uh, again, I think Arceus Alolan Volt or uh, Arceus Giratina Alolan Volpix I think is good. You could have a one-one Umbreon Vmax. I think that also helps in the Guardi matchup, uh, as well as you know having that extra gust, which is kind of nice. Uh, maybe a one-one Flying Pikachu, which helps in the Chien Pao matchup. Uh, which, admittedly, that's not a bad matchup for you, just because you hand disrupt Chien Pao once and they kind of like fall apart. <laughs> at least in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people have just been opting to just play straight Arceus Giratina lately, and I personally think that just gives you too many bad matchups, because again, don't have a good Guardi matchup, uh, your Mew matchup is not great, you know, Spirit Tomb helps with that, especially with Path to the Peak, um, so I, I, I guess you're kind of bailed out a little bit thanks to Spirit Tomb, but I don't know, you know, it's just between not great Guardi matchup, having to get slightly lucky in the Mew matchup, and then struggling a little bit. Like, your Arctura matchup is kind of, like, even, because if you can disrupt them and kind of brick them before they get set up, then, like, you get to run away mm -hmm. with it. But if not, if they get the VMAXs set up, then, like, you're struggling just because you have to take two turns to knock them out, which is not ideal. And then uh, your Giratina matchup actually, surprisingly, is, like, it went from being relatively okay in the Scarlet and Violet format to kind of being a little rough in the Paldea Evolved format because the Lost Zone Giratina decks have started playing Path, right? Mm -hmm. And and let me, let me say this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a mini soapbox here. If you're playing Arceus Giratina in the Paldea Evolved format, please, for the love of God, have a Lost Vacuum, have a Pumpkaboo, have a Stadium Bump. Please, for the love of God, like, there is no reason to not, like, to just be playing for Path and no outs to it, right? Because if you get Pathed, then you lose your Starbirth for the entire game and your deck falls apart. Please, for the love of God, have a Path Bump. Like, there there are enough decks playing Path, in my opinion, that are, that it's worth it in Arceus Giratina, right? Because I've literally seen, like, Lost Zone Giratina decks just, like, stomp Arceus Giratina. Like, it's nothing just by going turn one Path. Mm -hmm. You know, because they have no outs to it. So it's just like, please, please play a Path Bump. You won't regret it, I promise. But its matchup spread is fine with like a consistent strategy behind it. Um, there's a few things up to chance again. Like if they draw well off the hand disruption, that can be a bit painful. And if you're not teching for Gardevoir specifically or for Mew specifically, you're going to lose those matchups. And even against Gardevoir, even if you do tech for Gardevoir with something like Umbreon or Alolan Vulpix, there's still a very real chance that they just draw out of what situation you put them in anyway. Because they're attacking with a bunch of one prizers, so that already feels kind of weird. 
and you hit them with Iano Judge, or I, or I'm sorry, Path Judge or Path Iano, and then they just draw like six, eight cards with Refinement and Shining Arcana anyway, they're probably going to find an out to it. And then, you know, you're just in a really bad spot. So Arceus Giratina definitely has like a lot of merits, and I feel a lot better about it now than I did for like NAIC. But I don't know, there is still some weirdness there. You know, yeah. you're leaving yourself vulnerable in too many matchups, no matter how you build the deck, that, like, it makes me want to pause just a little bit. You know what I mean? Definitely. Uh, I have to agree. That's pretty much about how that uh, sums up my feelings about it for the most part. Yeah, it's definitely, like, a, like probably the safest pick, if you ask me personally, like, if we're just going based off of safety of choice, I think it's the safest pick because, like, it's just Arceus... Power up a Giratina, hand disruption, path, go. You know, easy to play, easy to pick up, and a very consistent strategy. If sometimes left to variance and some, and you know, a few matchups for sure. But like outside of that, if variance happens to land your way, and it's not like Lugia levels of variance, it's, you know, more often than not, things go your way, but sometimes they don't, right? So it's a little weird. But, you know, in my opinion, I think it's the safest play. It has a solid enough matchup spread across the board that it's a that it's a safe enough play, in my opinion. So that's just kind of where where I land with it. But I think wrapping things up before we get into maybe some of the weirder picks, uh, and this is for me personally, I think this is a really big question mark for me, just like it was for NAIC. You know, I wasn't sure how good this deck was going to do at NAIC. Uh, and I feel the same about it for Worlds. Chin Pao, Baxcalibur. Still, you know, kind of the new archetype from Paldea Evolved. Uh, it got some pretty good placements at AIC, a few of them in top 16. None of them breaking into top 8, um, but making it to top 16 is still very good. And here we are quite a bit of time after Paldea Evolved has released, and we still don't really have an established archetype for Chin Pao, Baxcalibur. Um, you know, we're still seeing people opt to play Barrel. we're still seeing people opt to play Arceus, we're still seeing people try to play Palkia, all these different combinations of Chien Pao, Baxcalibur, still to this day, no, like, solidified way to play the archetype, which is really interesting to me, and I think might possibly affect its performance at, at Worlds, right? It just... It feels like you need to roll up to Worlds with the perfect Chan Pao deck. Like, you need... If you want to see success with this deck at Worlds, I think you need to crack the code on it. Otherwise, you're probably not going to make it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just think, uh, realistically, Chan Pao... Uh, unfortunately, while a very good deck, and I think perfectly viable, just uh, falls a little bit too short compared to what you would consider the Tier 1 decks right now. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's definitely not bad. I just, uh, I don't know, it's kind of hard to describe it, but it just, uh, it really seems like that it just can't keep up, if that makes sense, which is kind of surprising because GM Pal really feels like it should be able to keep up and accelerate pretty easily. But, I don't know, what's your opinion on it? It's... It's a pretty high-maintenance combo deck that I think 
like personally in my opinion i think a lot of people if they haven't played it or they don't have much experience with it they probably just like oh you know you just irida for candy backs and you attach a bunch of energy and you just one shot everything okay no problem and you just keep that going with superior energy retrievals no problem but like in practice like it's every single turn okay i need this i need this i need this you know yeah early games you need to fill your board you need to get energy in hand you need to find a way to get Bax Caliber turn two, and then you need to attach a bunch of energy. And then, you know, you also have to think about, you know, you need to keep drawing cards to facilitate all this stuff. And it's like... Yeah, and that's where I get, like, the it's kind of hard to keep up thing from. It's just, it's so easy to miss one of those combo pieces, and suddenly you kind of found just went from flowing along really well to grinding to a screeching halt, yeah. panicking... Trying to figure out how to put up the piece, pick up the pieces, and get back into the game as fast as you can. Yeah, because uh, if you miss a beat with this deck, like, dude, grinding to a screeching halt is literally the perfect example. Like, the deck just stops. You have to have every combo piece in, like, available to you, or you need to be able to find it every turn, or your deck is sitting there doing nothing, and that is just like. It just feels so weird. It's very powerful. You're right. Like it's it's an incredibly powerful deck. You take one shots on anything in the format, and then you have like a bevy of tools to you because you can accelerate water to energy to anything, right? So you you have like the Kyogre, you have the Radiant Greninja, you might have Palkia, you might have Arceus. All of these are available to you, and plus probably a whole bunch more that maybe hasn't seen a whole lot of play. Who knows? But um, yeah. I I mean it it's. It's a very powerful deck, but surprisingly an easy one to kind of dismantle at the same time, which is a little weird, but, you know, at the end of the day, it just kind of is what it is, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. And of course, like I said before, you know, you, you, you disrupt their hand once and they just kind of, like, crumble. It, it's almost sad, to be honest. That being said, we did mention that uh, the playfield is looking good for V stars. Like this does look like just a V star V max format, and that's the kind of just like Giratina, right? That's probably why Giratina is seeing a lot of play. Just like Giratina, Chien Pao loves a format like that where they could just take boom, 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 massive one hit KOs on multi prize Pokemon. So mm. I think I think the format is a lot friendlier for Chien Pao at Worlds than it was for NAIC. Do I think it's the play? Do I think? Would I put it as my number one deck to win the event? No, probably not. But um, I, 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 I do think one can make top eight. I do think that could happen. But those are the big, you know, meta decks that I think a lot of people are, are preparing for. A lot of people are expecting <clears throat> to see, uh, you know, things of that nature. Are there anything like maybe like some rogue archetypes or anything like outliers that you think might possibly have a deep run that maybe people don't have their eye on? Do you think? Uh, yeah, there's a couple, and I'm not going to go very in depth with these. Uh, I'm just going to probably point out some honorable mentions. Uh, I think you should definitely got to keep your eye out for uh, the new Intellion Urshifu Rapid Strike decks that we've been seeing. I think that is uh. A powerful contender. Uh, I don't know if I would say that can go all the way either, honestly. But I definitely could see that deck uh, going very deep in the runs too, and potentially winning it. I mean, it's got some crazy potential. Uh, 
and honestly, for me, I would still keep an eye on Miradon. I think Miradon's, Miradon's a fairly popular deck. And even though Miradon is nowhere near, I guess, what we expected it to be at the beginning, I think it's still a very strong option and has the potential to uh, surprise people, honestly. Uh, yeah, I actually... I actually wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, you know, a few of the honorable mentions I had actually were Inteleon Urshifu and Miraidon alongside Arceus Umbreon. Um, since you covered Inteleon Urshifu and Miraidon, I'll just give a, a few quick thoughts on those. Um, Inteleon Urshifu, I think, just has genuinely does have one of the most absurd matchup spreads in the entire format. I do genuinely think that this deck beats everything that isn't Mew and Lugia and admittedly like i do think it's possible that Mew, uh, that lugia could see a little higher representation than it did at naic which makes inteleon or shifu a little less enticing um i think mu numbers stay down for the most part so i, I do think your matchup spread with inteleon or shifu is very good we saw it perform incredibly well at the naic uh with its win from Cy cyrus davis just amazing games master class on how that deck is played you should go watch it to see what i'm talking about this deck is the real deal Personally, it is one of my contenders to win the event, in my honest opinion. Although I do understand why people might uh, disagree with that. Uh, and Miraidon, like you said, it's you know it hasn't performed quite as well as we thought it would, but it is a powerful deck nonetheless, and it has consistently made day two at most events since Scarlet and Violet released. Uh, so there definitely is some potential there, and you know, like we've been saying, this is a pretty. The, 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 the way the meta has shifted recently is favoring V-Stars and V-Maxes right now. And again, much like Giratina, much like Chin Pao, that's the kind of format that Miraidon likes to be in. Because uh, it doesn't handle the one-pressers very well. Its Guardi matchup is not great. Its Lost Box matchup is not great. But outside of that, it can handle pretty much everything else in the format. Um, so while I don't think Miraidon's going to have a deep run necessarily, or like not like a super deep run, like I don't think it'll get like top eight, maybe top 16. Um, I do think that the format looks better for Miraidon than it ever has. Like this is probably the best time to be playing Miraidon. Uh, so I'm definitely looking out for uh, talented Miraidon players at Worlds. Uh, and then finally, I just want to talk about Arceus Umbreon, uh, basically taking the idea of Arceus Duraludon Umbreon, but taking out the Duraludon portion of the deck, focusing more on the Umbreon and putting in other tech attackers, things like uh, Flying Pikachu, things like Slacking V, uh, even Metacham V, uh, you know, like we saw from Michael Catron, sixth place at NAIC, absurd deck, very, like, taking the anti-meta to a whole new level and putting a different spin on it, I think is really strong. Because um, I personally, like I said before, I think Duraludon is kind of a little iffy for this event, if you ask me personally. So taking out the Duraludon package, leaving the Umbreon, just so you have your answers for Guardi, which is very important, and then filling that space with other powerful VMAX Pokemon, most notably Flying Pikachu, in my opinion, uh, I think is a strong... Uh, recipe for success, and in my opinion, Arceus Umbreon Flying Pikachu is my number one contender to win. If I had to make a prediction right here, right now, and I guess we'll transition to some of our predictions for the World Championships, what deck do I think wins? I think it's Arceus Umbreon Flying Pikachu, personally. That is my contender to win. If I was going to Worlds, I would either be playing that or Inteleon or Shifu, depending on 
how I felt about the meta shifts uh, leading up to the event. Josh, what about you, man? What do you think wins Worlds this year? Uh, probably Gardevoir. Really? In my opinion. Mm-hmm. Going straight the BDIF. You can't you can't argue with it. Listen, I got a lot of love for that deck. I think it performs very well. I think it's in a great spot for the format. Uh, I just think it has the most potential. Now, as a runner-up, uh, I would definitely say Rapid Strike Urshifu. I would say you really got to keep your eye on that deck. <laughs> it uh, it's very strong, and I think if we had some more time between when it kind of started to come about. With some tournaments before Worlds, we would uh, be more worried about it than we are, than I think probably most people are right now. But I don't think you can sleep on it, because definitely if enough people decide that they're going to play Rapid Strike Urshifu, they're just going to be cleaning their way through uh, their matches, in my opinion. Yeah, if nothing else, you need to practice the matchup, right? Because there's not really a lot of ways for decks to counter it, you know? Like... You can play Manaphy, but it's just going to get Yoga Looped. You can play Dunsparce if you're weak to fighting, but it's just going to get Yoga Looped, right? <laughs> like, like it's difficult to counter this deck. So, yeah, you need to, at the very least, have a game plan for Inteleon or Shifu, for sure. Um, but pivoting off of what deck we think wins the event, this is a fun one. I, I And I love the internationals and the world championships for this reason. What region do you think takes home the crown this year? Last year... Worlds in London was won by Andres Skubal, uh, taking the home for Europe. Do you think Europe gets a repeat win this year, or do you think another region takes it? Oh, I think that's hard to say. It's hard know. to say. I think probably another region takes it. Uh, it's going to be interesting, I think, since this is the... Uh, since the championship is in Japan, I think we're going to see probably a fair amount of players that just we normally don't see at these tournaments, you know? Mm-hmm. Just even considering U.S. and Europe, uh, I think there's a fair, am- fair amount of cross-travel between us as uh, players and whatnot, and even extending a little bit into more like Central America and whatnot around there. I think there's a lot more overlap of people playing together. So, I don't think people have paid uh, much attention, I guess, to some of these more nicher areas. So, I think we, there's a pretty good shot, especially since this is in Japan, that uh, it's just going to kind of, someone's going to come out of the woodworks and take a tournament that we wouldn't even expect. Because that area is kind of completely centralized in a different, you know, location. I think it's going to be available for a lot more people in Asia and whatnot to even come attend compared to what it would usually get in attendance. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting perspective, right? Because, you know, a lot of eyes and ears are always on, like, NA and Europe and, to a lesser extent, LATAM and Oceania. And, of course, you know, with the, with the championships being in Japan, a lot of people are probably expecting, like, strong performances from, like, Japanese players and stuff like that. But, you know, there are, like, <clears throat> neighboring countries that are coming to the World Championships, right? You know, we have players... Uh, qualified from Korea or from the Middle East or from Malaysia, you know, those regions that like don't get as much coverage, but still play the game, still produce talented players. You know, this uh, world championships is a lot closer for them to get to. And yeah, I mean, it is possible we see some representation from them and it's possible that they take home the world championships out from under everybody. 
which would be really cool to see personally. That would be pretty awesome. Um, just for these lesser known regions to just swoop in and steal the world championships would be pretty crazy. Um, I think on my end, like, uh, I, I gotta be honest. I, it's, it's been a long time since Japan has won a world championships. I want to say like six or seven years at this point. Mm-hmm. I I think it's time. I think they're long overdue for another dub. I, I feel like Japan's going to take it. Not not uh, to that, root against NA. You know, I love I love NA. I got to root for my region. I'm hoping you guys come out strong. But if I had to give a down-to-earth prediction, I feel like it's got to be a Japanese player. Uh, yeah, I, I'm honestly in the same boat. Uh, I think Japan winning would be really cool. It's, uh, it's been a long time, like you said, and we'll just have to kind of see how it goes down to, obviously. Uh, well, I'll be rooting, I'm sure, for NA players, and if somehow they all get eliminated, we'll have to, we'll look at who's coming up next, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't think we'll have a hard time picking out someone else that we want to see take it, honestly. I mean, listen, I'm a, I'm a big fan of a lot of the EU players, too, you know, so we'll, yeah. we'll have to see. Sander will be there, so, you know, hey, Sander makes top cut with some weird control deck, you know. <laughs> I might just have to root for him on principle. <laughs> it definitely will be interesting. Uh, speaking of, you know, Sander, we'll, we'll kind of jump ahead here. Do you think there's any possibility that worlds is won by a secret archetype that nobody has discovered yet uh my truly honest answer no i do not think so i'm gonna be honest with you i uh, I, I i think i agree but i'd like to hear your reasonings yeah uh since you brought up control uh, we talked about that a little bit earlier but uh i i did say that if i did have to pick one that came out of nowhere i would love for it to be a control deck and I do think there is the p- potential for that to happen, because you have to understand how control works in Pokemon. I think we're at a good time for control to come into the format, just because control is not really present right now. And the way control just works in Pokemon is basically it has to not exist. It comes in, swoops whatever event you take it to, and then it can't exist two weeks later because it's been countered and picked apart to pieces. <laughs> Yeah, basically, yeah. But uh, anyway, I if, if someone reads the meta perfectly and builds the perfect control deck, they could just come in and stomp their way through. Uh, that would be sick. I would love to hear about that. I would. Uh, I think I would watch the whole thing if that was going on. Yeah. I'm gonna be honest. Like, get out of the way that it just is not going to line up with my schedule at all. I would have to figure out a way, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just have to make it work just to see it. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I think I agree. Um, this, this is always, a, this is always a difficult like prediction to make, right? Because I, you know, I don't know that it's out there. It's unknown, right? You just kind of have to throw a shot in the dark. Is somebody going to do something wild? And, Obviously, we've seen stuff like this in the past, right? I mean, of course, Mega Audino winning Worlds 2016 was, um, a, you know, a pretty big deal because that was a deck that just never saw play, right? But it, it was yeah. just the perfect storm for Worlds for that to be the perfect deck. Uh, will we see something like that here? Uh, no, pro- I, I agree, probably not. 
because I think I think a large part of it is is again just because of how balanced the format is when all of the meta decks are basically taking even matchups into each other you know it's it's difficult to find a secret deck that beats everything you know when the format's balanced out like this especially even for control so yeah I agree I don't think we're going to see any you know any secret sauce uh, come out for the world championships this year which you know there's always there's always that subset of people being like oh people just playing meta decks at worlds this is so boring we need to go back to 2016 it's like you do realize that like you know that that miracle run that Shintaro Ito had with Mega Hotano almost never happens right like <laughs> the meta is the meta that's just how it works yeah the meta is the meta because it's the meta you know that, yeah, that's, that's the meta answer. <laughs> that's just how it works. Um, it, uh, I just uh, personally, in my opinion, world is not the place to be taking your secret sauce and be trying to sauce people. I'm gonna be honest with you, unless you're one of those tippy top players that uh, truly understands this game inside and out. Uh, I think you're banking a lot of risks taking trying to build something completely secretive off the board and take it and just pub stomp. You know what I mean? Just uh, yeah, it it takes a very talented player to be able to do something like that. Yeah, it, I'm not even a talented player. I think you would need a talented team of people, honestly. True, honestly, true. Just because, I mean, it's like you said, the meta. I mean, the, the meta is the meta because it's the meta, but also. There are hundreds of thousands of Pokemon players in the world, and the large majority of us are connected on the internet. Uh, we dissect these cards before they even are close to being put on the cardboard. I mean, yes, there's always things that can surprise us or things we didn't see coming, but for the most part, uh, I don't think there's anything too secretive that can come and surprise us without us having already at least an idea of it in this meta. It's, it's too balanced. You know, I think it's a little too figured out and too balanced for anything truly unique to appear. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong, but uh, that's how I feel right now. Yeah, I I, I do completely agree with you, uh, to be 100% honest. Um, so one last prediction before we sign things off. What is the most represented deck? What deck, uh, we'll say between both days, I guess. Uh, what deck do you think sees the most amount of play and why? Uh, Gardevoir's the safest option, I think, to say, but honestly, I don't want to say it, because I kind of truly don't believe it's going to be the most popular deck there. Uh, you know, it's funny you say that, because I was sitting here having that same deliberation in my head, right? Because, you know, you're right, I, I think a lot of players, I think, are going to gravitate towards Guardi. You know, it's the best deck in format, it's... Uh, got a very good matchup spread. Um, it's not like insanely difficult to play like Lost Box is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you know it, it it's not necessarily like getting any. It's not necessarily getting any worse due to like meta shifts. Uh, maybe like something like Arceus Duraludon, for example. Uh-huh. Um, but I but yeah I, I do agree I, I do have like this gut feeling that it probably just isn't gonna be Gardevoir you know but like when I sit down and really think about it if it's not Gardevoir 
what is it? You know, and I can't, I can't think of anything. So I, th- I think I'm going to say Gardevoir, but that's a very hesitant answer for me. Uh, yeah. Honestly, I think I want to say Lost Zone. Just okay. in its entirety, is probably going to be the most apparent. Even though we said it's not in the best spot right now, in our opinion, I do still think that's a insanely popular deck type, just because of the ground it covers and how universal the Lost Zone engine really is. Uh, I mean, really, I'm be honest. If you're not playing Gardevoir, and you're not like playing i don't know if you're not playing gardevoir you're not playing like mew <laughs> or uh, <laughs> lugia you're probably playing some lost zone variant you know yeah i i think that's a pretty safe assumption for like guardy and lost box to be like top two and you know i i feel like if this was like an open tournament like an ic or a regional lost box numbers would probably be like way down in mm-hmm. the grand scheme of things but this is Worlds. This is the best players of the season. And a lot of these best players have been playing Lost Box pretty consistently. So, And if there's any any players that are going to be able to make it work at the World Championships, you know, despite the time and the ties or p- potential for ties uh, and difficulty of playing the deck, it's going to be the best players of the season, right? So Definitely. Um, I, I, do, I do think that makes a lot of sense. So... Uh, yeah, Guardi, Lost Box, I think, yeah, it, it makes sense. But alright, I think that about wraps us up for our meta discussion for the World Championships for 2023. I almost said 2024, I'm getting a little too ahead of myself here. Uh, but let us know what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at DamageCounter, DamageCounterPodcast at gmail.com if you prefer email, or you can hit us up in our community Discord. That's right. We're always talking about some fun Pokemon TCG topics in there. And we'd love to hear what your predictions are for the World Championship. So definitely hit us up and let us know. We'd love to hear what you have to say. But with that being said, Josh, that's episode 39 in the bag. In the bag. I want to thank everyone for watching. As always, I am so excited for the World Championships, man. You have no idea. I'm so ready. I, I like the the pain, the pain of like having to like because if I'm right, if I remember correctly, it starts like 7 p.m. Thursday night. So having to like stay up, knowing I have to go to work the next morning, and then you know it's it's gonna be rough. But I, I I'm ready for all the action. I'm ready for all the announcements. I, I'm ready, man. Let, let's do this. <laughs> But as always, thank you all for watching or listening to this podcast. <laughs> thank you all for listening. Uh, of course, as always, like I said, you can follow the, the podcast on Twitter at Damage Counter. You can follow me on Twitter at MRDCP. That's E-M-E-R-D-C-P is in Damage Counter Podcast. You can find me at Smiling underscore Anarchy. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on all of the podcasting platforms. Spotify, Audible, Google, Apple, you name it, we're there. And if we're not there, let us know. We will be there. And of course, don't forget to also subscribe to the Damage Counter YouTube channel, Damage Counter Podcast on YouTube.com. Again, I will be live streaming uh, the World Championships from that YouTube channel this weekend. I'll be watching it live from home, live reacting to all the TCG games and doing a little bit of casting myself. So definitely 
check us out. Tune in for that as well as for some upcoming video content. But with that being said, I think that about wraps us up. We'll be back in two weeks analyzing the world championships and giving our thoughts on it. But until then, see you next time. Thank you.